Hello, everyone, and welcome to Weekly Manga Recap. Your eyes do not deceive you. We are recording this on Friday, April the 26th of 2019. I can't remember if we have ever actually recorded this uh, podcast on a Friday before. I think we start off on Sundays. We've been we've done Wednesdays, Thursdays, Mondays. I don't know if we have ever done it on a Friday before. Maybe when something got pushed around and we had to make it up later. I feel like week, maybe but. one time we did, but normally we're such busy social blutter- butterflies that we, <laughs> we need to use the weekend time for... Uh, yeah, that's it. <laughs> it. We always have to do it, you know, uh, we, or else we lose our club time and all of our time hanging out at bars, dancing the night away to the new Shakira song. Yeah, she she she's the most popular pop star out there right now, right? She hasn't stopped being number one in my heart. I'll tell you that. That's what I mean. That's why she is in Zootopia because she was, you know, the most popular uh, artist who was going at the time that movie came out. And <laughs> giraffes are, of course, the most sexy of all animals, hip wise. Which is she's a gazelle. Her character's name is Gazelle. I don't even remember Nick. Like it's been like four <laughs> years since I saw fucking. <laughs> The, th- the thing about that about that whole character that really bothered me was like, this is clearly a, a, a you know, an Adele reference. <laughs> and it's Shakira. <laughs> like, They're basically the same. <laughs> Adele, Shakira. I get them confused all the time. She did an OK job for what for what the character was. Anyway, now, Nick. Manga. No, we have so I, much manga to talk I, about. I Chris. have a quick aside, Nick. Now, Fine. Nick. Nick, once you start hearing what it's about, too, you're definitely going to be glad we jumped on this train. So, Nick, have you ever heard of post-nut clarity before? Uh, as in when you have gotten your jack-off done, then you suddenly realize how everything in the universe truly is. And yeah. you've been doing with your life leading up to that single moment. Yeah, basically. So, I saw Avengers Endgame last night. Okay. And I'm not going to spoil anything. I'm not even going to mention anything I, uh, to that regard. I get, I get to, I get to see it tomorrow. So yeah. I just want to note that Avengers Endgame gave me like a nerd post nut clarity <laughs> that I have never had in my life before. I truly, I believe, I think I floated everywhere for the next three hours, and I was just walking into rooms telling people I love them, that they're great. It must have seemed like I was high. I, I firmly believe, Nick, that if you had if you had approached me, I think I left the theater around like nine thirty. That if you approached me like within the la- next like two hours, and had been like, "Hey, can I have one of your kidneys?" I'm like, "Man, just put me on ice, man. You fucking take that thing out. You deserve it, my man." Well, you don't you don't have a, a dialysis machine to hook me up to. That's cool. Man, whatever, dude. It's fine, dude. Just fucking just roll with it. I have my little sister texting me a whole bunch of shit because apparently the Giants made a shitty draft pick. She's a Jets fan, so she was just shaking all over the Giants. Says so kept getting tweets like, what a stupid idiot your team is. So I was like, you know, by, let bygones be bygones. You never really know how it's going to go, you know? I mean, maybe he took a little early, but maybe it was just the right place for him when all the universe kind of balances out. And then I woke, <laughs> I woke up the next day the post-nut clarity gone and texted like, fuck you and your garbage, goofy-looking quarterback. You're still in the same division as the Patriots. You're never going anywhere. Eat shit, little sister. <laughs> and it was all gone. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's immediately gone now. We're all back to, we're back to Earth. But that's what it did. 
I have not, uh, out of people I follow on Twitter who have seen it, seen anyone say that they did not like it. The only things that I've said have been people saying that a bit of it, you have to just kind of be prepared for it to kind of throw a, a weird, unalluded to twist at you. Uh, something that wasn't really set up. It just they just kind of do it. You just kind of have to accept it. But other than that, it's, it's just kind of amazing. So there's there's a couple stuff that I'd be like that. If you know, a couple weeks down the line, we'll be a lot more free to sort of talk about this stuff. I'm not trying mm-hmm. to like screw with anybody who's like ah, I haven't got right, a chance. Right, right. I'm not gonna get to see it like for a so or whatever. So after Wednesday, next Wednesday, when everyone has seen it, <laughs> literally everyone, you know, there will be unborn children in Haiti or something like that who have been like, yeah, I don't know. I didn't really like the way the Captain America came across in it or something like that. <laughs> They're going to come out of the room and just be like, I thought Thor should have gotten more screen time. I mean, the first one was all about him. So, <laughs> All right. I've we seen it have... before. I'll save it again. More Hawkeye. <laughs> or... What, what Ronin, whatever the fuck he was called in this one. This here looks stupid. Anyway, so we have so much manga to talk about this week. To let you guys know uh, what's going on uh, with us or with me. Uh, I'm at the end of a semester for school, and so I couldn't record stuff uh, this Monday. So I asked Chris, hey, can we do something later in the week? And he's like, okay, how about Friday? And then we found out that Friday was when manga chapters were being released instead of next Monday uh, because, of course, Golden Week is coming up in Japan. It starts uh, next Monday and then it's going to go into the next week, too. So we don't have any new manga next Monday or the week after that. Instead, what we're doing is we're discussing all the manga that has come out in the past week and a half in one sitting. So that means doubling and in a certain case, tripling up on the manga we're talking about today, <laughs> because for some reason there were three chapters of Eden Zero. I don't know why, but here we go. I feel like Hero just got his juices flowing. He's like, yes, he saw yes. <laughs> he's he saw Endgame a week early somehow. It was like, okay, I can do he this. Was also floating around. He was like, what if they're all evil? <laughs> what if humans are just dickheads for some reason, except for the ones who bathe naked in hot springs? They're fine, you know. Except, like, yeah, except for the ones that I tell the story about, they have no flaws. <laughs> so we are going to get into this. Uh, in some cases, uh, the chapters we doubled up on. It works out really well mm-hmm. because the chapters are, you know, connected and flow into each other. Uh, one of those cases is the one that we're just going to start the recap portion of the manga recap off with, which is My Hero Academia, which uh, basically we get to cover an entire fight that was stretched across these two chapters in one go. So there we go. So the first one is number 225, Interview with a Vampire, featuring not Tom Cruise. So... I don't know. May, actually, may, there are a lot of uh, NPCs. NPCs. The, yeah. Maybe one of them is Tom Cruise. Yeah. If if we if there were an explosion and one of them was running away from it, then we'd say, ah, Tom Cruise. So. Yeah. If it was hanging from a helicopter, be like, there he is again, fifty year old Tom Cruise. There he is doing his own stunts because he's crazy. All right. And yet they still won't give her an Oscar for it. I don't get it. So <clears throat> we actually start off the chapter with Redestro talking with uh, 
Giran, that was his name, uh, who is still being held captive. Uh, and he, Giran claims, like, you know, no one's going to treat me like I'm, you know, some damsel in distress here. Also, you guys are going to be in really big trouble if they unleash one of the Nomo in here. And Redestro is just like, uh, they won't do that for multiple reasons. Uh, one, uh, be, we haven't seen a lot of Nomu lately. Two, uh, there was the high-powered one, yes, but there are also the weaker ones that it spat out and they weren't really all that dangerous. Which I don't know why he bothered to name that one. He was just like, sure, there was a really powerful one, but the ones that it spat out to multiply were weak. Yeah, but it spat out more. Really. <laughs> He's like, yes, but they all sucked. But they were weak. <laughs> Imagine a boss in Sekiro, Nick, and it just spit out tinier, shittier bosses. Is that not a greater challenge? And so, I, you know, I mean, if, if things worked in video game terms and you were like, well, yeah, but there are minions that give you health power-ups after you defeat them, so you just have to go and fight them and when, you, when you're running away from the big boss. Like, yeah, sure, but that's not generally how that works in real life. No one gets a buff from fighting one of the little monsters. Anyway. Sure? So, but the third reason he says is that Dobby flat out said when he was retrieving the, the Nomu that he was there to retrieve the black Nomu. So, so that means it's valuable to them, which means that they have limited resources. So, yeah, they're not going to have a Nomu. Uh, and without Nomu, they're just a gang of hoodlums. Yeah. Pretty strong logic. We cut over to the League of Villains, who are, of course, fighting against everyone in the town, um, each of whom has a, a fairly dangerous quirk. Like some random guy comes up and basically almost eats Spinner. Uh, it, it grabs it, one of his uh, blades away from him. And uh, then we focus on what it looked like we were going to get last chapter, which is Toga going up against the journalist lady, Chitosi Kizuki, uh, or just going off of her code name, which is much easier to remember, Curious. Uh, and Curious starts to monologue a little bit, and then the guy next to her ends up getting a knife in his neck, so she's like, oh, oh, right, we're fighting. <laughs> the entire fight is framed as her trying to get this interview with uh, Toga, uh, trying to basically get inside of her head because she's been researching her and her back and her backstory and her history. And she wants to know the reason why she turned into this psychotic murderer that she currently is. Uh, and so she's trying to figure out what exactly was the event that caused this to happen. Meanwhile, we get, uh, we get, you know, Toga King chased into a, uh, little cute, little deli. It looks like, um, if this were, you know, a DC film, then there would be giant signs so that you could know exactly what store that it was that they were, you know, getting punched into. Uh, Toga catches her footing and then an explosion goes off. As we learned that Curious's quirk is landmine. Basically, she's Gambit. She can charge things to explode. They're not very powerful explosions, but she can basically lay them anywhere. Nick, I know we have a lot of chapters to discuss this week. Time for going on a tangent, though. So Gambit is one of those characters who I greatly enjoy. He's got like a cool aesthetic to him. It's very interesting. But he's also one of those characters that they explain too much. And eventually you reach the point where you're like, well, technically he can't just 
he, he can go more than that. He can charge kinetic energy into anything. Right. You sit there, you're like, why does he just do playing cards? You're like, I don't know. Kind of because just... I'm casual, mon ami. <laughs> He's like, oh. I wear I wear gloves with two, with only two fingers on them, huh? <laughs> I, I got I, I got an extendable bow staff and wear weird pink armor. <laughs> I won a contest as a child to win seven hundred thousand free packs of cards. I'm using them. <laughs> Mama Gambit told me. You kind of suck, Gambit. Yeah, but I had sex with Rogue, so shut up. <laughs> I'm like, hey, he's got us there. Got me there. <laughs> You're the best, Gambit. Good for you. <laughs> You're the best, G-Man. So. <laughs> um, a whole bunch of people try to close in on Toga after she's stunned from the explosion. She uses her mask, though, to send out syringes. And I'm not just talking like, oh, she's got like one syringe that shoots out. So no, she's got like tentacles that shoot out everywhere so that she can suck people's blood uh, as as they try and surround her. So pretty badass Uh, tries to use this. But, um, well, Curious turned one of at least one of the people's blood into a bomb. So it explodes inside of Toka, which Although it is a minor explosion, we saw the flames from before coming out of the deli when they went off. So that went off inside of her body. She should be dead, but superhero comic, it's fine. <laughs> uh, so it's it's fucked her up, though, and she's like bleeding internally, probably. Um, I mean, blood flies out of her mouth, but she was just drinking blood, so it's hard to tell. Uh, so curious. uh you know, starts rattling out some background information she knows about Toga. You know, she knows what family she's from, what her birthday is. Uh, and she says, you know, hey, did you see the news that day that all that happened when the media went to your parents wanting an explanation when they interviewed your classmates? Because everyone was saying the same thing, that you were always this cheerful, reasonable, well-mannered girl. And they all wondered why. Why did you do what you do? Why did you abandon any hope of a normal life? And we get this flashback from Toga's perspective of herself uh, in middle school, surrounded by a bunch of classmates. And she doesn't have her, you know, bun hairstyle yet. And also she has this weird black smiling mask over her face. But we also see that she spots this guy who looks a fair amount like Deku, at least in terms of hairstyle and general face that we can see. And he seems to be in some sort of a fight. Uh, he's got a bruised face and he's bleeding from the lip and the mask that Tug is wearing starts to crack. Uh, then we get a flashback from uh, Curious's perspective uh, where Redestro encouraged her like, hey, you know, these this ride that you're doing. Um, you're just making, you're just reporting on rumors. That's a bunch of bullshit. Why don't you, you know, actually do research the way a journalist does. And then, you know, that way it'll be good. You'll capture people's hearts by doing your fucking job. (laughs) Oh, and I'm a zealot now because I am a real journalist. (laughs) She'll post up her first article and it's something like vampire girl kills people. Click here more to find out why. Find out which friend's character she relates to most in this 12-question survey. And then Curious is just like, but 
Redestro, have you seen the number of followers that YouTubers report on bullshit get? I mean, come on. He's like, oh, good point. Okay, go ahead. Scope. Fucking That's my it. commentary for the day. It's, you should never you should never listen to anything on YouTube, guys, or, or, or watches immediately go to zero. <laughs> <laughs> um curious demands an answer from Toga as to why she turned to a life of madness and abandoned a normal life. And Toga just says, A normal life, huh? What's that? And she looks up with this weird smile on her face and curious is like her face it's just like a doll's what kind of doll do you do you play with she's got blood all over her face right now it doesn't look anything like that don't you remember pamela Bloodface is the most popular doll when i was a kid oh the 70s were such you a can time. brush her hair and give her a fresh coat of life blood <laughs> blood for the blood god little girls <laughs> just slit your wrist over top of pamela <laughs> I love you, Barbie. Uh, getting dizzy. <laughs> Mommy, am I supposed to be dizzy playing with the stall? Play with the goddamn doll making supper! Toga continues on by saying, you Liberation Army people are trying to make the world a wonderful place. So I like you. For me, this is my normal. And she gets this really demented uh, smile on her face. And we see a f- flash of the flashback of herself holding a blood dripping uh, box cutter and seeing shards of the mask she was wearing fall off of her face. That brings us into the second chapter where we get, you know, basically just flat out told exactly what happened in her past, but not really the reason why. Uh, So there are shots of some of the things that curious was talking about the interviews on the news from like, you know, uh, her parents, uh, teacher, some classmates, um, how she had stabbed this boy named Saito and drank his blood through a straw while she was making this weird face. Um, I don't think that we actually see her parents. Uh, I don't even think that the adults we see in, in this one shot are supposed to be them because we see them talking through uh, the radio outside of their home because mm-hmm. they obviously don't want to actually, you know, they're very talk. rich too. They don't need to. Oh, don't have to sell our commoners. Ooh. I'm sorry. Our daughter turned out to be a sociopath. We'll make it better with the next one. All right. Get you later. <laughs> and we see the tug was basically. Oh, you're barren. Then I'll be gone with you. We'll have a dog then. <laughs> and we'll dress it up and send it to the same prep school. Goodbye, everybody. We're the weird eccentric rich parents of this town. We'll never have to do. We'll never have to answer for anything. Hmm. As we ride around in our enormous bicycle-like <laughs> limousine, <laughs> bicycle-like limousine. <laughs> we make him still pedal, but we still feel like we're getting the benefits of the exercise. So is it a limousine, but the driver has to pedal it? Yes. Or... It's basically that. Like you're, well, it's so you're, rich that we just have a limousine as you would encounter on the Flintstones. <laughs> like, have you ever seen those like bikes that are basically just mobile bars that like ride around the city and everyone pedals on them? Oh yeah. Like like that. It's like seven other people who aren't the rich people, and they just sit there and drink while everyone else has to pedal and not drink. <laughs> Uh, so we see that Toga has had uh, kind of been messed up from an early age. 
bringing her parents dead birds that she thought were cute. And the picture that we get from this and from what Curious is saying, because Curious is spot on with a lot of the stuff that she says, uh, which is that basically everyone in society tried to beat the weird behavior out of Toga. Not literally, but they tried to suppress the odd urges that she had and just tried to force her into the square peg. Um, and so she had this natural uh, curiosity about other people, this fascination with other people, and she had a fascination with blood and those and her quirk uh, really led her to try and do stuff that was weird, like, you know, drink a bird's blood because she thought it was cute. And because society would never accept that, according to Curious, she pushed all of that down, suppressed herself and created this mask uh, because she kept on engaging all this demon behavior and people kept on telling her, you just have to act like a normal girl. Um, And Toga doesn't. What are you doing, Toga? You can't bite a bird and suck its blood just from out in the yard. We have living quails in the (laughs) fridge. Use those. You're disgracing us. Oh man, you're you're drinking a commoner bird's blood. We must. Get... What are you doing, attacking that boy with a box cutter? We own a knife company. Use one of those from the store, but we don't we don't use the weapon of a of a box cutter man. If you're going to drink a boy's blood, at least drink the blood of the boy that we've arranged for you to marry, so there's to, so as to keep the bloodline pure. Have you even considered us when you do these things? I don't think she's from a rich household, Chris. <laughs> she looks like she had a, had normal parents and a normal in, upbringing. In my mind, she comes from the richest household in this entire city. <laughs> and her parents just like, I understand if you wish to repress all of your deep-seated angst, but remember, <laughs> we actually own many party masks. Please use those. They're more uncouth than the insidious smile you wear upon your face every day. Curious, like, ends up approaching her parents after this and say, like, what do you think about your daughter or what she's done lately? Oh, yes, we've seen her running around with that ragtag group of so-called villains. They don't dress her nearly well enough. What are they even supplying her with? There should be diamond sparkles in all of her clothing, I'll have you know. I'm much disappointed that it seems like she's forgotten her foundation routine. The good start to any face is foundation, my dear. (laughs) Also, she apparently has not been going to see our personal dentist. What's with her fucking teeth? Oh my goodness. We invest we bought seven braces companies and none of it has paid off. <laughs> what? Murdering people? Has she, has she been murdering any rich people? Huh? That was fine then. How can we monetize that, dear? <laughs> dear? Oh right, you've been dead for years and I talk, <laughs> and I talk to a corpse in my living room. Yes, this is why we're not really upset with the murderous parts of it. this went in a weird direction so just to make sure that we don't lose sight of the fact that you know the metahuman liberation front is full of assholes um when toga tries to lash out at curious because she's pissed off at her curious uses this uh odd device to um basically make a 
I don't know, it's like a mega buster around her hand and um, shoots slash punches Toga in the face with it, which leaves a weird scorch mark on her. And she says, what you consider normal is not at odds with the Liberation Army's goals. In fact, you're living proof that our cause is righteous. You'll make the ideal sacrifice. We'll turn your death into a tragedy for the ages. And as a martyr, your tale will be a modern day parable for the ages. And there's this weird shot of her reenacting the Pieta with Toga as Jesus and herself as Mary. It's one of those things. It's like, right, right, right. Maybe humans are, are assholes, too, and they're weird, zealous assholes. So it's it, it's OK if if Toga murders all of them in this chapter. It's cool. So <clears throat> Toga lashes out at her after managing to recover from being stunned, starts to run away. And curious is is like, I mean, you can't escape. And Toga is saying to herself as she grabs a capsule from her little utility belt that I'm not miserable at all. When I'm happy, I smile. And just like how everyone else kisses the people they love, when I love someone, I suck their blood. No, I'm not miserable. Not me. And she eats the capsule and it's got some of Uraraka's blood in it. So she takes on Uraraka's appearance. So one of those things where it's like Toga's so crazy that you can't really tell, even with all this information, exactly what makes her tick. There's a little bit of insight here, but... Again, there's no real information as to why exactly she suddenly cracked and attacked sight uh, this this boy from her youth. Maybe it was just, you know, her first love when her first crush and that was what caused her to snap. But we don't really know yet. Um, Curious is confident that this isn't really going to make a difference because they're like, yeah, I mean, you, you've transformed and you're taking on a disguise, but, you know, we're just going to make sure that no one can drink your you can't drink anyone's blood. So that way you will be able to slip in and out of uh, different disguises and stuff. Um, So she's like, anyway, I'm sure she's she's basically just like, oh, it's so it's so nice. It's so pitiable that you're you're just putting on this pretty face in your in your final moments. But Toga is thinking to herself about Uraraka and the fact that, uh, you know, Midoriya trusts her so much. And, you think, and she thinks, I want to get closer to the ones I love, too. I want to be just like you. And there's another explosion. As Curious tries to attack her with her weird Mega Buster thing again. And there's a bomb sound effect. And then she starts falling away from Uraraka and floating up into the air. Well, not Uraraka, but Toga. Using Uraraka's quirk because she can do that. And everyone is stunned as Kiri starts floating off into the air. And so Toa dashes between them, touching them and causing them to float into the air, too. And she just kind of says to herself as she does so, I'm using Ochako's quirk. It's kind of hard to tell if she's actually, you know, surprised or if she's just making a decoration. Again, it's hard to see into her head. Uh, Curious is surprised by this, of course, because you know, all the information they had on Toga indicate that she could only just change her external appearance. But she thinks, oh, maybe, hey, maybe the fear of death has allowed her to grow. And Toga says, nah, I just want to love, live and die my way, my normal way. I want to be even more like the people I love. And she just thinks to herself, I've seen Joan Chaka's quirk in action, so I know how to use it. And she presses her hands together with an Uraraka's release gesture. And 
everyone that she's caused to float into the air falls and dies. It is a very brutal end. And you might think, like, maybe some of them are uh, okay. And she very quickly, like, says on the next page, like, hmm, maybe it would have been better not to have killed them. Oh, well. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, all right. So Toga is really beaten up, and she heads away from the site of this battle while thinking to herself, eh, it's all right, because you and me are going to destroy everything that we hate, right? Right, Tamura. So um, this is a pretty big development. One of the reasons gives us another reason to believe that Toga is potentially really, really dangerous uh, if she can not only mimic people's appearances and disguise herself as anyone, but mimic anyone's quirk. It's seemingly, I would assume that it's probably going to work a little bit differently than the way Monoma's works, but that's something we're going to have to, you know, find out in the future. There are still quite a few unexplored uh, aspects of her uh, termain yet, uh, but I really like the idea of her using, you know, heroes' quirks in a villainous way. Like, you know, Uraka would never do something like this, just make someone float up into the air and then drop them to their death. Uh, and I like the idea of her copying other people's quirks and using them in really, really messed up ways like this. It also goes to show you, yeah, it's a really, really, really good thing that you didn't get any Adeku's blood because holy shit, that would be terrible. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just have some, uh, just have some, you know, uh, one for all blood so that she can mimic it. Yeah. yeah. I think this was a cool ch- sequence of chapters. Uh, I'm not super sold on Toga yet. I think part of it's what's interesting is, that this is like a two chapter little story trying to see inside the mind of a character who fundamentally you really can't see inside of like she's so detached from reality that you're like Mm -hmm. i have a base idea what you're talking about but you're also really insane so i could never truly like grasp where you're coming from and you're certainly not a good guy you're certainly Like, I see why you're with Shigaraki, because you're also basically as insane as he is. So I'll be curious to see if we see other glimpses of other characters like Spinner or Twice that are going to be along these same lines to be like, yeah, this is why all this depraved group are kind of with each other. Yeah, certain characters like Mr. Compress, Spinner, Dobby, if you get a flashback like this, you can be pretty confident in like, okay, this is what's going on with them, but... Toga, to make the obvious comparison, has that, you know, kind of joker quality about her where even if you have some insight into her, you can't really see exactly what how that leads from point A to point B to point C and so on in terms of how she developed the person she currently is because she is just that messed up and it's unreliable to see things from her perspective, which is the only way you could really get answers into certain events in her past. Uh So. Okay, uh, I think we'll do Food Wars, and then and then Eden Zero, and then, then I think Bored after that. Uh, so we're going to do Food Wars. <laughs> that, that sigh. <laughs> Someone in the chat as we were getting ready to start indicated that they think that Food Wars is like the worst series that, going on that we cover right now. And yeah, yeah, I think that it's like... Things were starting to look up a little bit as this matchup between Soma and Asahi started, but certain things that happened this week. Mm. The first chapter is all about Asahi's dish that he's presenting is chapter 308, He Who Conquers. The first thing that happens in it is that the judges actually show up, uh, which include what uh, Courage and 
Decora. That that's that's the blonde name, and and uh, some guy. I believe we've seen him before. We've but... seen him, but he's you know he's you know, a guy, not one of the hot ones that Izami <laughs> fucked. You know, um, there is, yeah, they're they're there to value the dishes, and I like that. Um, what's her name, Ranmaru or something like that? She's like, hey, you know. Mune, you know, asked me to make sure that you remain impartial for this after the whole thing that happened to Totsuki. And she's like, oh, come on. We're, our judging will be entirely unbiased. Oh, my God. Who's that hottie in this <laughs> Who's that hottie? Boom, bloody. Get out of my way, skank. Hey, a funny joke. It's nice to, you know, have our guard lowered by that. Anyway, the dish that Asahi made is a fucking pie. He put all the stuff that he made for all the five different dishes into a pie. And there's shark pit fin in the pie. And carrots and nuts and mushrooms and shark fin. And these, everyone's like, oh, it's so fucking good. Yeah. Yeah, it's so good. And the judges imagine themselves turned into, like, sexy monsters, I guess. And they're, like, in an RPG. And they want to join the protagonist party, I guess. That's that's yeah. that is the visual that we get. Also, Decora's boobs look really, really weird in this one shot. Anyway, so then they point up into the stands where a whole bunch of people are having their clothes well, whipped off because people are like, oh, my God, it's the gifting. It must be Lady Mana's gifting. It has reached us all the way down here. Undeniable proof that she finds this dish delicious and asahi like gives this big like triumphant arm spread pose like he's tony stark at the beginning of the first mcu film and he's like this is the pinnacle of the blue this is what it looks like to be the first seat of the next generation of the culinary world his clothes explode off of everyone flying into the sky behind him it's like yeah okay good for you you made a pie um, it doesn't even sound like he made a pie. I, I really need to like, cause I kept trying to like describe this and it looks like he made a pie soup. Which basically. Yes. I cannot comprehend how that is any good. Like, I'm sure there's an example of this. That's fine. But they're like, it seems like an awful dish to serve to people. Cause like you cut it open and the pie, like the soup's just going to fall out. Like, I don't understand how you serve this to people. Like, just from all the images, it looks like there's a lot more liquid than anything else. So, yeah. I don't know. I do like the details. We start the next chapter, which is 309 true intentions that a, just a bunch of people in the stands had rows prepared for when people's clothes fly off. So it's like, here we go. Here, take a rope. <laughs> take a rope. Stop being naked. Um, there. You want to be are... like that one dude who was just like, you know, I heard that it happens. I don't know why I thought today would be the one day to not go with to go without underwear. I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> now I'm being arrested for public indecency because my clothes were forcibly taken away from me. I didn't get any soup pie. Yep. Um, one of the judge, one of the uh, onlookers, is actually very surprised by this. Uh, it's the old judge that we've seen a bunch of times before, and he says the gifting is a talent only one with Nakiri blood can perform. So then why? And that that strikes me as an odd statement because like, he knows Mana's up there. So I don't know if he's like in denial or if he knows something that we don't. Because I will say we don't flat out get confirmation that Mana enjoyed the dish. Uh -huh. 
Like she doesn't say it's like, yeah, that was good. That was tasty. So I don't know. Like the Uday has the dish and she's holding it while Mana's looking down at things. So I don't know. Anywho. Um, we get a flashback from Erina's perspective of, uh, you know, basically when she was a kid and, you know, she was progressing as a cook, even at four years old. Uh, and, you know, Senzaiman's like outer robe flew off, flew off to indicate, oh, wow, he's, you know, that's a real sign of her progress. But then when she presented it to her mother, she just said, it's an excellent dish. You did a good job. And there, you know, th- things, you know, she always praised my cooking, but she never has said it was delicious. So, um, yeah, she, she never managed to do the thing that apparently I saw he's, has just done basically. Then Alice is here, Chris. Cool. <laughs> She's here. My favorite character is here to talk about how exciting things have gotten, right? Yeah. To talk about how things have, have been lately. Yeah. Uh, Hisako has arrived there with her. They were basically placed on a task by Senzaemon and Joichiro um, and to do something important. They went to go and retrieve someone. Azami! Whoa, my favorite character's returned. Yay. He's here to be an uh, enlightening, because you know what my favorite thing, Nick, is? I love it when cool characters who are bad guys come back and redeem themselves as heroes and uh they decided to give us a flashback we definitely should have gotten during the last arc i don't know why the fuck they wait until now to do it it really really detracts from everything the zombie did the last arc so okay so a zombie is like i have no right to be here i am now humble and redeeming myself villain instead of out and out bad guy who was shown sadistically torturing my daughter for her entire upbringing. Um, Sendamon says, what you perpetrated at Totsuki cannot and should not ever be forgiven. However, <laughs> like, hold on. <laughs> stop right there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Full stop. Also, not oh, just a Totsuki, oh. to my granddaughter. Really? Ironically, it shouldn't even matter what the fuck he did at Totsuki. Technically, everything he did there was actually very, very legal. But, somehow, but <laughs> abusing his child was certainly not. So, Joichiro says, your reason... Oh, since, actually, this is since I'm still talking, sorry, but it's a picture with Joichiro. So he says, your reasons for doing what you did may have been, well... Your true intention was to save everyone, correct? Not just Jerichiro, who was lost to the storm, but also Mana and Ariana. Flashback. And so we see Azami. And it turns out Azami was the hero of the story all along. We see him after, you know, Saiba has just left. And he's thinking, I felt hollow inside. I, you know, I felt like losing everything. So I performed my duties on the council as expected of me. I traveled the world, but no matter where I went, my heart remained cold and my cooking became callous. And then I met her, the woman with the divine tongue, Mana. And we see a young Mana who does look a hell of a lot like Arina when she was young, but that makes sense. Um... And she, you know, makes the same kind of weird comparisons that Erina would do uh, because with her bizarre ability to, you know, just taste things in a way that no one else does. 
But she noted after she tried a, a zombie's dish, you know, it's disgusting. There isn't a hint of passion in it. You are presently dealing with something that caused you rage or grief. Then turn those emotions into a gorgeous feast of whole cuisine. That is what a true chef would do. A chef who is worthy of expressing the ideals of Totsuki. And so Azami kind of had a, they basically were shown to have this sort of Soma and Arina relationship, which is weird because it's Azami and not Soma. They were, you know, annoyed by each other at first. Azami was determined to, you know, ever be impressed. They spent some time together, uh, spent some time even cooking together. But, um, and he learned more about her and stuff. And he basically realized that she was on the same path that, that Saiba was. You know, she's standing in the center of a dark and fierce storm trying to light the correct path for everyone else to follow. What she did was risky, dangerous. She could be hurt, worn down, or worst of all, swallowed by the storm. And over time, like, they grew closer, of course, as they worked together and cooked together. And so he basically was determined to not let what happened to Saiba happen to her because she had given him back his passion for cooking. Uh, and so he was like, you know, with us together, we will, you know, do, we will do this thing. We will blaze a path for everyone to follow. But then she had her first, you know, health scare. And, uh, apparently they were just, this was like his ambition, even up to the point, uh, where Arina was born. But when she had this, her first collapse, then he realized he had failed. So he realizes that because Aaron has the same divine tongue, the same thing that happened to Saiba, the same thing that happened to Mana is now going to happen to her. So using the gourmet, the divine tongue, I will change the way things are. I will form a plan to bring true gourmet to the world, and then I can calm the storm, create an easier world for them to live in. And that will mean a demanding training regiment for Arena, but it will be all worth it if I can steer her in the right direction and help her avoid the despair that swallowed her mother. So in the end, I did it all for you, Irina. So I won't apologize for the years of abuse. <laughs> he doesn't. No, it's, he doesn't apologize. No point where, yeah, he's he just, just like, says, he just says, like, I failed. I try, I tried to do this, and I failed. I couldn't say even one of them. And so he says, like, the best option is for Asahi to win because he has, you know, a freakish talent that can actually overcome this problem. And then Joey Drew was just like, do you really believe that? And that's it. So let's just take it on the surface that this is exactly what we're getting. That this is like the actual story that's always been planned for uh, Azami. Why wouldn't we have gotten this during the last fucking arc when this was relevant? Like, this was like, hold on, everybody. I know. I know we're in the middle of tasting the dishes. Everybody stop. A zombie has to come back in and explain his backstory. And like everyone in the room's kind of turned around like, why? What? <laughs> like, it doesn't change what's happening in any way, shape or form in any part of this like narrative right now. But here it is. And then what we get is just him being like, I am. Yes. Yeah. I was very mean to my daughter. Abusive, quote unquote, some might say. But what you don't understand is I was doing it for Ripped her. her away from having any human contact with peers of her own age that she enjoyed spending time with. <laughs> so I was a quote-unquote monster. <laughs> but what you don't understand is I was trying to solve her mother's issue of 
And here's the thing I'm not entirely sure about, because Food Wars has kind of spoken in metaphors and storms a lot recently, which you kind of have to decipher a lot. I guess because she has the divine tongue, everyone keeps bringing her food. And she's constantly tasting it. And you'd assume that if she, if her, her, her taste is that valuable, she could just be like, well, I'll just only taste stuff that I know is like pretty good. Like, I'm not going to take taste every piece of food that comes by or something like that. Apparently, it's so daunting, though, that she's reached a point where food is, has lost its taste to her or whatever. And you're like, OK, fine. Fair enough. Let's work with this for the story. His solution is like, we'll create the most rigidly conformed chefs. And that'll fix the problem because everyone's cooking will be the exact same way. And you're like, I guess that's kind and of that a... way. Nothing will be interesting. Yeah, you're like, <laughs> I guess this is kind of a solution. If you squint your eyes and look at it and tilt your head to the side a little bit and, you know, kind of view it through a mirror like that, like it kind of looks like a solution. Nah, I don't know what they're doing with Food Wars at this point. I, just end it at this point. I don't know. It's pretty terrible. Like, it's... This is the thing that, like, if... For this arc to, like, go down in history as one of the, like, great bad shonen arcs, it needed a moment as straightforwardly that is bullshit as this. So, at least it's so bad that it's, you know memorable in that aspect now um kill it yeah. so eden zero all right let's talk about the three chapters of eden zero that we have for whatever god fucking reason starting with chapter 40 operation c7 so hermit nick does not trust humans why because some of them were dicks and evil for no reason <laughs> it is an astonishing exp uh, story to explore but it all comes back to this dr mueller who is like we've developed an accelerator and it's all it's aimed at planet hook a planet comically made of gears and giant hooks that is exclusively used for discarded robots basically and they need help so we're gonna send them ether and you're the only robot smart enough to help us figure this out so there's a whole like collage of different stuff happening like where we jump back to the ship the only thing that's worth doing is moscoy tries to push the button again and sister yep. or her not sister yeah sister yeah sister stops him i forget the names of some of them mm -hmm. uh which is just sister, becoming the only witch, sister, witch, and hermit are the three robot ladies. Yeah, I just keep thinking sister's not the right one because it's too on the nose, but I guess that's the point. Uh, anyway, hermit is doing these crazy calculations for this. And the entire time she's like, I wonder if Dr. Mueller will be my friend at the end of this. And the other researchers... Will you be my friend? Of course we will! Yeah, the other researchers are like, but we're already your friends, including the one robot researcher. And eventually she meets him, and he's like, I gotta go to Planet Hook, they're sending all the robots there. And she's like, that's weird, shouldn't I go too? He's like, mm, they didn't say they needed you for some reason. I wouldn't question it. Keep on doing the good work. And you're like, Obviously, they couldn't be so cartoonishly evil as our sole goal is to destroy an entire planet full of robots. Like, I mean, like exactly. when when this guy first showed up, like two chapters before this, it was and she was like, of course, I'll help you. I was immediately thinking, like, well, he's going to like, you know, his plan is evil. 
But then as it was like, everyone's going on this planet, literally I'm just thinking like, okay, there's no way in hell it would be something as obvious as they put all the robots on this one planet just so they could blow it up because they're racist. I mean, sorry, robotics or whatever. And just evil for no reason. No, that's it. <laughs> they, they are clean and dry. The most car, like mustache twirling evil villains we've seen in this series. And this is a series that already has like very cartoonishly evil characters. Th- that was their sole goal. They're, they're human superiorists, superiorists. I don't know what you'd call them. Uh, they want all robots gone. They used her as basically a tool to get the calculations right. They're like your Pentium 4 super brain was able to calculate exactly what we needed to blow up the planet full of robots. Ha ha ha. Now, I love that when they blow it up, the guy's just like, yeah! I did! Yeah! <laughs> like, high-fiving each other. Woo! Uh, so they killed all the robots, and he's like, get rid of her. She's a gross, icky robot. And then a guy comes by, and he's like, wait a minute, Dr. Mueller. Perhaps we should use her for our others' experiments. He's like, ooh, sounds fun. So we don't find out what happens with that until the next chapter uh, which is taking a second to load on my screen. Uh, 41. Uh, that's just a picture of Rebecca's boobs. Fireworks. I lo- Before pa- we get into that, I lo- I want to admit, make a note that like they were having this conversation at the beginning. It's like, you know, oh, we could be friends after all of this. And, you know, I'll give you like a back rub and stuff. And the signifying image of like the- it was she was betrayed. It was all a lie is the handmade coupons that she made for his like coupons coupons for a shoulder massage falling to the ground (laughs) well so they kept Herman alive for their grand new experiment of punching robots apparently this i don't know (laughs) what else they're doing they take her apart and we're evil we're evil (laughs) They, they take her apart and like hang her from the ceiling just like her torso up then use her ether to empower the scientists who then just punch her a lot. <laughs> this, is apparently the this has apparently been going on for years too. And it ends abruptly because like the, the, the crime police show up and they're like, you know, I thought it was weird when that planet full of robots got exploded. And it turns out you had a gun pointing right to it. I guess we, we solved this problem right in the nick of time. And you're like, I think that robot's been getting punched for about four years. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to figure out what the ends of the research goal of the robot punching experiment was. There is no goal. <laughs> They're cartoonishly evil, Chris. That's it. It may have just been <laughs> to figure out how long they can punch a robot. <laughs> I... It's so bad that you can't hate it. Like, it's just so bad that they so dumbly evil that who <laughs> like you're like you almost, how can you be pissed off about this i almost feel like when she's explaining this story to everyone else in the crew that they would just be like i mean are you making some of it up like look i always believe victims but i'm like they just sound so cartoonishly evil i have trouble sure, that's believing that exactly it exists. What happened. <laughs> they just punched you for years that's that's it they just kept punching you i don't i can't even comprehend what the goal of that would be i'm just imagining like you know it's the scientist punching her 
and it like cuts outside and like the sun sets bong, bong. <laughs> sun rises bong, bong. it goes for like three years and just like continuous like, season <laughs> he's like you'd think my arms would get tired but they don't god I love punching robots <laughs> So after the uh, crime police show up and they're like, hey, this guy was doing a crime. Let's police him. Uh, they're <laughs> like, we freed this robot. Come with us. And she's like, nah. And just walks uh, out. And one of the police is just like, yes. Just <laughs> one of the officers. Feel, one of the officers feels poetic and is just like, commander, shouldn't we let her go? They're like, she's already free. Nothing left to do with her, boys. Let's let her choose her own place to die. And you're like, Sir, we're the police. Are we supposed to? Did we like get her attention and psychological evaluation? No, she's free now. Free to walk her own path. I love. Anyway, there's a. I heard that there was a kidnapping, and we've got to go and save the little girl that they kidnapped. That was ten years ago. We got that report, but I'm sure she's fine. And when we get there, and she's sad. We're just going to let her wander off, too. <laughs> she knows what she needs now more than we she do. She knows her own way home. <laughs> she was two when she was kidnapped, but... Like I'm... an elephant, kids never forget when they're kidnapped. I'm sure that an entire childhood full of abuse and confusion has given her the life skills to make her way back home and find her way in the world. I just, I love any time an authority figure explain something in a poetic way like you watch solo right and when he goes up he's like name uh, han what's the last name no last name the guy like stops uh, and looks, looks tilts his head off to the side thinks han solo then <laughs> and writes it down you're like is yeah, that proper procedure like that anyone who comes in with the last name you're like what what haven't i used a while luke a loningston or something like that. I mean, old Kyle stuff. one man. You find out it's like, ah, oh, no, you see like uh, Anakin and Shmi, they got their names because, uh, you know, uh, Shmi's, uh, Shmi didn't marry. So, you know, she didn't have a name. She was born a slave. But uh, when, you know, when she had Anakin, it made her feel like she had walked on air. So she decided that their name should be Skywalker. And so that was that was why they, you don't need to explain everything. No, there's no anyone who in the future who makes a, a Star Wars film set before the original trilogy, you don't need to explain everything. It, it's but okay. Why is it Obi Wan? Maybe it was just originally Obi, but then he, that? but then he won a fight, and they started calling him Obi Wan, and then they were like, <laughs> it's just like a game of telephone. It devolved over time. So, so you imagine it's like you know, like it, he he shows up on Tatooine, and someone, uh, someone's like, uh, "What is your name, sir?" And he's like, "Huh, been a while since I've set foot on this planet." Ah, Ben. Okay, got it. You're Ben. <laughs> someone's just like, "I understand he's Jabba a Hut, but what made him Jabba?" The hot. <laughs> you're like, we don't need this. We don't need this story. All right. Anyway, the this traumatic flashback ends as a 
bolt is about to fall on Zing Hermit's it. head. It's a dramatic two like two panel thing of like this bolt's about to fall on this robot's head, and then she's a sizable screwballs. Admittedly, it is. It is very. It hurts. And you know, obviously, when an object's dropped from pretty high up, it can be very dangerous. Uh, but Cheeky just fucking takes it to the head. I'm not really sure the physics of it. It looked like it was uh, right above really the A way to manipulate this object's gravity. <laughs> Bonk! Uh, and Hermit just doesn't want to deal with fucking humans anymore. But Rebecca goes up and is just like, hey, yeah, I know those I'm other humans were like... This in a way that's not stupid for a second. Okay, it's still stupid, but it's not It's not Cheeky stupid. Yeah. She's like, hey, I understand that what happened to you before was like off the walls cartoonishly evil but you have to understand nobody else should be like that i'm still a little look again i believe you i believe you may have been on some kind of drug and dreamt those up because i i have trouble believing someone that evil exists like it's so cartoon anyway you're with friends now and they are like hey yeah we all like robots except when they get to wise like i don't know weiss hangs out here anyways want to join the crew and she does uh, she smiles. Uh, well, she cries first. She's like, because I want to be friends with everybody. And uh, they're like, yeah, we it's are friends. Like, you don't really hate humans. You want to like them. And she's like, you're right. She's it's like, like well, that was an easy breakthrough. <laughs> yeah, you're like, interesting. The only humans you ever seem to meet immediately were the most racist and vile of human beings possible. But I don't know. Deep down, I guess it works whatever she she gets her shit together she she powers up and she saves the Eden zero and then she sends it over to spider and she's like haha you're about to get hit with our super long range cannon and spider starts screaming because he's just a little bitch boy nerd nick he pees his pants and starts crying because that's what nerds do they can't stand up to it this is such a weird moment like to conclude all of this, like, I mean, I can say, you know, with confidence, like, OK, the stuff in the first chapter is really cartoonishly weird. The stuff in the beginning of the second chapter is like, well, that's a that 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 is a way to reach this, I guess. That feels very dissatisfying. And then she makes him think they're going to shoot their weapons at him and instead sets off a bunch of fireworks. And he pees his pants when the explosions from the fireworks go off. And everyone's like, ha, 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 he thought that we were going to shoot him when we were just setting off fireworks for some reason. They got him. Got him. Also, I'm pretty sure that fireworks wouldn't look like that if they were in space because, you know, gravity wouldn't affect them. Yeah, but we just had a planet that was a bunch of gears combined together with two giant, like, pirate hooks bent at, like, jetting out of the top and bottom, so... What am I doing? What am I doing bothering I'm, to... I'm just my... assuming space works differently here. Anyway, Hermit's happy now. She's yeah. smiling. Hermit's good. So we're gonna, we're gonna jump over to page four, or chapter 42, Pino's Dream. Uh, we start with uh, a tour of the ship that... Who gives a fuck? We're not following that. Uh, Admittedly, I will say... I like that we have it because it feels less like hero through all these weird rooms into this ship. It's like, no, here is the actual layout of the ship. It's like, all right, fair fucks to you. Yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah. Fair fucks to you. Yeah. Do you <laughs> actually like thing. You actually figured out how they all fit into this stupid ship. So, okay. <laughs> I like that. Uh, so 
we get like a little bit at the start where sister's kind of uh, chastising Hermit for taking so long to get her shit together, like a good friend would, you know. After she starts to recover <laughs> from deep seated trauma, she's like, "Hey, could you have gotten your shit together earlier? You know, before you saved us without any real kind of uh, consequence or tragedy." And you're like, "That's, I mean, nothing happened. I don't know. I'm angry. I'm gonna shit all over you." Uh, and the only thing that's amusing from that is just that Hermit threatens to push Moscow's button, which, look. I usually shit on Hero because nothing is built up. Everything is always, like, set up and paid off immediately in his kind of series. But whatever fucking happens when you push Moscow's button has me fucking intrigued. Because they've been teasing this shit already for, like, two months. And I'm like, this is, like, seven. This is, like, the end game of fucking Hero payoffs where it's just like, just you wait. Eleven years later, you're going to get something from this. Uh so there's a bunch of cutaway scenes. Fan service scenes with Rebecca and Homura are naked and they talk. And Homura talks about her master and that she wants to train. And she tries to spar with Rebecca in the bath. And done with that scene. Do, do, yeah. do the only good one in this chapter. Yeah, Thanks. so we see that Weiss and Shiki are over at the kitchen, where I guess they have a mechanical chef that just makes whatever food you want at any one point in time. Seems like Sweet. something that needs more explanation, but cool. I guess they, they have it and just haven't shown it until now. Uh, but they're like, yeah, it's super cool. Don't you want it, Pino? And Pino's like, uh, I have no taste buds, so I will just eat this energy-restoring jelly that all robots drink. And, uh... She's like, huh? Everyone's like, I kind of feel bad for you. Like, it's it's pretty tough. And she's like, ah, oh, don't worry about it, actually, because I found a dream. I'm going to be human. Uh, she kind of smiles. And why? Big, like, t- like, full page spread of her, like, looking at it as, I'm going to be human. Really cute. Weiss, Weiss is very apprehensive to this. He's like, I mean, <laughs> say, what I think about it is, you know, it's, oh, it's a sticky, wow, like a. Uh, ooh, mm, about that. Shiggy's just like, yep, yeah, I bet you will. <laughs> and uh, she's like, yep. And then when I am, I'm going to eat all the curry burgers I can until I'm stuffed. It's I, super cute. <laughs> I, I do like it because Shiki is very supportive of her dream, yeah. which is a very Shiki thing to do. And I do like how Wise is also like, I feel bad because she seems very happy about this, but you, there's no way to turn a robot human. And then he thinks, like, well, there is that rumor about Mother and being reborn, so maybe. Then we cut over to a planet this called... Is, by the way, this is the most likable that Shiki has been in a long time. Yeah. Because, like, hey, here's this person that we know he has a connection to, and she believes in this absurd out-of-the-out-of-the-room-of-possibility thing, and, and he's just like, I'll bet you will, and then we'll, you know, get to spend time together while you're a human, and it'll be great. It's like, oh, supportive friend, Shiki. Yeah. So... Uh, we cut over to the Brown Sea, where, what's her name? I forget if we actually got it. The spy who changes her face. Yeah, hot spy is uh, <laughs> hanging out at the beach. She's actually at an ice cream beach, apparently. I didn't notice this before until I looked, and I was like, that's a giant ice cream cone in that ocean. Oh, okay, that's the whole gimmick here. Do you think uh, she's supposed to be getting a tan? Because uh, I don't really see what the point of it would be if she could just change her appearance at will. Uh, I just think Hero wanted an excuse to draw her in a bikini. I don't know if there's supposed to be any more logic than that. Like, in-universe, her example is, I feel a strange need to go to the beach in a bikini for some reason. And then she did it. Also, I better, like, bend over (laughs) and imagine there's, like, a camera right here and, like, make my boobs or butt or feet look as big as possible for that one point of view. 
Uh, the person who she talked to back inside of the game is like, hey, I know Bull you fu- dude. Yeah, he's like, hey, you know, you fucked up your identity. You didn't fuck up mine, too, did she? Did you? And she's like, oh, my gosh. Like, no, I didn't. I would, like, never do that. You, like, worry way too much. And he's like, you're a fucking joke. You're a fucking clown. You know that? And then he <laughs> basically hangs up. It's like, uh, he, like, gives, like, a little thing where he's like, sorry, catch you later, milady. Uh, and we cut over to fucking Elsie, who's like, hey, are you, uh, calls up Jesse. He's like, Jesse, at your games again? And he's like, sure am. Your time's almost That's up, right. Elsie. That's right, Captain. I was just masturbating in here, not plotting your demise. <laughs> She's like, good. I think. <laughs> I don't know which one I want more. Then we see Spider, who's stomping his way down around the warship burial goer. Uh, which looks like a space station with a bunch of like crab legs and random shit kind of at the bottom of it. Seems interesting. Uh, and he's going over to see ja- Draken Joe, but he's stopped by a lady who could stretch her her body around, uh, named Maria. And uh, Spider not, just makes not Kagura from yeah. Fairy Tale. No, very different. <laughs> and uh, Spider just makes a bunch of comments about how hot she is and starts fondling her leg. And he just walks past her and thinks. One day, I'm going to get to fuck you. That's that scene. What a great character. And we walk inside, and there's a robot cowboy and a mask man, and a guy with the bottle in his throat as Dragon Joe's about to smash his fucking bottle and say, I'm going to make some money off this, I guess. How? I don't know. He's Because Spider's like, I got to talk to you. He's like, what you're talking about? Make me more money than what I'm doing now? He's like, I don't know what I mean, you're doing. You had to buy the bottle. So he's like, is this some kind of fetish porn? Because that does make actually a good deal on the Internet. There's not a lot of it around. Can you so in on that? Yeah. Like... I'm ready to do some pretty degrading stuff to myself. I'm I'm pretty OK with it. Let me get just get my pants off here. So, <laughs> yep. That's what we got there. He kind of looks a lot like a former fairy tale or a hero character. I can't think of who, but he reminds me of somebody. Regardless, yeah, we see the guys. Yeah. Yeah. All right, let's move on to uh, Boruto, number 34, training. Um, so we started to be at the uh, very tail end of the fight between Naruto and Delta. Delta is completely down for the count. Kawaki insists that they should finish her off. And Naruto's like, well, I need, you know, to bring her with us for interrogating. But then um, Delta starts going, and it's like, oh, my God, she's self-destructing. And Naruto grabs Boruto and Kawaki and throws them out of the way and she blows up. Yep. Kajin Koji uh, is observing things and uh, is like, oh, well done, Uzumaki Naruto. You have great power, but not enough. You will need much more to take Jigen down. Karma, knowing its secrets, will be the key to unlocking Jigen's weaknesses. And I bet that you, Uzumaki Boruto, hold the key. I am plotting against my own villain group because I am the most important character in that group currently. <clears throat> they take one armed Kawaki to see Katasuke. Katasuke says that, uh, yeah, I can make a, a, a prosthesis. Uh, it's not, I can't, you know, completely restore his hand because that technology is beyond me. Uh, but I can, you know, make a prosthesis at least, but I don't have one prepared. Sonar's is like, don't you have one of the prototypes for what for one of my arms sitting around here? And Katasuke is like, well, yeah, but I mean, I developed them to only work off of the individual's chakra. So 
you would need your shockwave in order to do that. And Naruto's like, ah, I got this. And he, he takes the prosthetic arm and he sticks it onto Kawaki and he infuses it with some of his chakra. And yeah, he, it, it's, you know, it's the artificial hand scene. He's like, oh, I can move it now. And uh, so, yeah, he's just sharing his, uh, his chakra so that he can, Kawaki can use this hand. Boruto points out, of course, that that's going to mean that he's going to have to expend chakra on this. And Naruto's like, I send shadow ga- doppelgangers everywhere all the time anyway, so whatever. So, but he does point out whenever I'm asleep, then uh, you're not going to be able to use the hand. Uh, and, you know, when Kawaki's like, hey, are you sure about this? Naruto says, Remember. And I'll be able to feel it every time you're masturbating. Just know, I'll know what you're doing. All right, time to switch hit. <laughs> <laughs> time to be a lefty. Uh, Naruto's just like, remember, Chakra is a force that surrounds us and penetrates us. And he just says, like, this is just, you know, an example of what I was saying before about how Chakra is a connection between everyone. And the scene ends on a joke. Uh, And then we cut over to the villain's hideout where the camera that Delta had launched lands in this little pedestal between... A series of deltas who, uh, one of which, there are like these three canisters, uh, one of which is empty and the other two contain deltas. And one of them hops open and delta comes out. Not too surprising. She's really pissed off about being defeated and stuff like her tra- her consciousness transferred into this new body. Uh, this is would not be nearly as shocking if we hadn't had, you know, all the stuff with pain, with uh, pain in uh, Naruto prior to this. Uh, but this is much more of a like, yeah, it's machine stuff than anything. So. Uh, we get to see a few more of the members of uh, of, of this group, um, but not a whole lot really happens yet. Um, Jigen is this kind of monk-looking guy that's in a white robe, uh, and he, everyone's kind of curious about what the hell Kashin Koji is doing because they don't really know what the hell he's up to because he's plotting against them. Um. Delta reports, however, what she learned about everything, like such as the you know, the conversation between uh, everyone. And uh, they say, like, hey, you know, there's no karma in his body. So uh, what, what's going on with all this? And she explains, like, I saw their karmas resonate with each other and their powers got amplified. So he definitely has karma inside of him. And everyone's like, really? And uh, then realize like, ah, Momoshiki. So you managed to leave behind a vessel as you died. We get the shot of Momoshiki, that Otsutsuki guy from the early part of the series, manipulating Boruto's body like he's a puppet. So, oh, he is possessed by an evil dude, apparently. We'll see. Yeah. Um... That's all the important stuff, the plot relevant stuff that happens in the chapter. But the second part of it is where all the good stuff happens, in my opinion. Yeah, so, I agree. Yeah. <clears throat> Um, we basically see Kawaki getting used to living in Konoha. Uh, first, we everyone you know, was get when everyone's gathered back at home. Uh, Kawaki is like, "Hey, I'm I'm sorry about this stuff," and Naruto just says, uh, "Hey, don't worry about it. You you know helped you to protect me and my daughter, so this is you know me paying you back for the hand that you sacrificed." And Kawaki's like, "Well, Kara attacked because of me, and you protected me, and and." Naruto's like, 
look, you just kind of remind me a lot of me when I was a kid. And that makes me want to look after you. I'm assuming he means when he was like in chapter one and prior to that, because like, I don't know if I see any of the other comparisons there in narrative. <laughs> you weren't you weren't to want to be a cool kid, cut your hair, stupid loser. So, but he's like, you know, I just want to say that I did this before Hawkeye revealed it in the trailer. <laughs> I had my big, stupid mohawk haircut first. <laughs> and no, you didn't. Shut up. No one reads the Mar- no one reads Marvel comics. <laughs> they make those. They make comic books of that. Uh, Kawaki asks for Naruto to train him. Takes him up on the offer he made before, and Naruto's like, "All right, yeah. So if if you really want to, now you're my student." Uh, and we see basically a montage from that point of Kawaki getting used to ninja life. Uh, intercut with him trying to repair the vase that he had broken. It seems as though every time that Naruto is asleep, he stays up and uses his one uh, remaining organic hand to try and put it back together. But we see stuff like he hangs out with Boruto and Shikadai and, uh, you know, you know, she, you know, she, you know, some, something, some sort of, you know, pun. Uh, and, you know, like he opens up a pack of the game of the card game they collect. Oh, and he got him. He got the fourth Hokage Minato card. And everyone's like, whoa. And uh, Chocho is like, he's so cute. And uh, <laughs> Kawaki says, this dude's a Hokage. <laughs> cool, dude. <laughs> this dude. Um, Boruto gets another Naruto card and so and when Kawaki sees he's upset about it, he's just like here I'll trade you this one if you want and Boruto's like I got my very first other than dad Hokage card um, there's a random shot uh, while this conversation takes place where it cuts over to Serata as she's wa- looking on I like the the very much just like the artist just felt like drawing, you know, a natural pose kind of thing that looks weird. And you don't see a whole lot of people sitting this way in manga shot. So it's like, eh, arms crossed and legs crossed and everything like that. So um, we see him sparring with Naruto, uh, practicing with Serata and, and Boruto, uh, trading cards with Nar- with Boruto and his friends again. For some reason, this card game is super important. Uh, it looks like they're actually playing the fucking card game, which is very impressive. I, tap a, land, I tap a land and bring out and bring out 7th Hokage Naruto. And attack your life points directly. He's like, I fucking hate these first turn combo kills. This game's fucking jank bullshit. Ever since Link Summoning got added to this game... <laughs> Repairing the vase, practicing jutsu, repairing the vase, hanging out with Naruto, repairing the vase. Ah, I finished repairing the vase. Trying to test it by pouring water into it. Shit! There's a piece missing. All right. It's not in the bag with all the parts in it. Maybe it's down in the living room. And he starts to leave the bedroom. Then he hears a voice behind him. He looks behind and he sees Kurama's giant flaming head floating in front of him. And... He has a relatively reasonable reaction, which is just thinking to himself, what the heck is that? Huh. Interesting. <laughs> and Karama's just like, I shouldn't have been sniffing this glue. So <laughs> <laughs> All right. Where did this part go? <laughs> uh, right here. <laughs> he looks, 
like in his mind the face is perfect when you see it it's like this hideous deformed claw reaching <laughs> and Otto whatever your stupid name is here's your face <laughs> give me that glue <laughs> so you're done with the super glue not even close I'm never going to be done with it buy me more <laughs> <laughs> the fox told me I can't leave. <laughs> the fox speaks to me. Karama tells him he can't leave from he can't stray from Naruto's side. That's the end of the chapter. Um, I actually really like the uh, second half of the chapter of Kawaki just like getting used to ninja life because for one, it's really weird to just see you know characters in Naruto just being kids. Uh, particularly like uh, su- such an edge lord as Kawaki, um, but it's also very important to establish with this character who's going to presumably be very important going forward. That we see, yeah, he's not just this eternal like I I just do what I want or get by. I don't trust anyone. It's like you need to kind of open that up a little bit so that we actually care what happens with him and why other care and see why other characters uh, care what happens to him as all this shit is going on in his life. So, yeah. Also, giant floating Karama head. So that's that's cool. All right. Oh. It's okay. It's, it's, it's first lap's done. <laughs> now you just got to talk about uh, Hell Warden Naguma, which somehow is ending after Neolation. Well, because it it aired after Neolation. Didn't that's it start? Why. I thought it started before. One week uh, after. That must be why. That's it. It's probably going to end as soon as we get back from Golden Week, honestly. Um, a lot of stuff happens in these two chapters, and it's all really just like we need to get this series to an ending point, it feels like. So that's I'm, I'm not going to go into very much detail on this just in terms of like our time is better spent on other series. Uh, so Higuma's parents die. Uh, not parents, but his dad and aunt die. Uh, and Akagane does the whole thing where he's like, I will come see you when your child turns dead and I'll kill you then. And we get some narration that explains young Higuma had been able to see demons as pitiful, future spirits as pitiful, because every spirit he saw was no match for his father, and Higuma could wish to forgive them because he'd never been confronted by an overwhelming force of evil and never had something precious stolen from him. So really, he was just a big hypocrite. It's like once he saw one that was bad, he was like, no, it turns out like, yeah, what? No, he's uh, his 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 ideals mean nothing. Enma actually uh, comforts Higuma when he comes back to the other world. And he's like, you know, your ideals and compassion are not wrong. If all people could accept everyone else's behavior and could forgive one another, then the world would be at peace. And even the concept of sin might fade away. But that's not possible as long as people are human. At least that's what a former version of myself concluded before creating hell. And then thanks to himself and then my former self left the testament of their resolve and gave it form the great King Enma. So an interesting thing here that seemingly this aspect of, you know, the of God basically left behind this version of themselves who thought this thing about humans and then they have that aspect of themselves has started to change its mind it's a weird but interesting thing but 
whatever, never going to see it explored. In the present, Higuma's fighting with Akagane. He manages to cut off his arm. It does nothing because Akagane doesn't have that arm anymore. It is made of mercury and stuff. And so he cuts into the guy's other arm and he's like, I managed to deflect the attack, but it hurt. Higuma, however, claims that he is not here to get revenge on Akagane. He's doing this because it's a Hellworn's job. That is why he's doing this. That's why he has to resolve to do this. The fight gets broken up because White Smoke Guy shows up with another future spirit, Uin Kaseki, who drops these white balls of energy down to the ground, sending off explosions and basically breaking up the fight. Akagane is like, I'm going to go now, kid. When I, but one day I'm going to f- make you turn your back on your duty and I'm going to kill you and send you to hell. Bye. And then some other hell wardens show up and they're like, uh, you're going to die if you go after him. And he's like, oh, you guys are. And then he collapses. Next chapter. <laughs> um, so. A lot of like confrontations take place in this second chapter. Ayaha is rushing to the scene where Higuma is. She sees the two hell warrants who have already sent uh, Higuma back to his home to recover. Um, we see Ingetsu talking with Uenkaseki, and she's like, "I know your secret that it only had that your smoke only affects future spirits with fewer years in hell than you. No matter how aggravating a spirit may be, if they're of higher rank, you can't make a move against them, and that's why you had me take care of Akagane. You're a hollow man, Ingetsu." And the snake that they're riding around on talks to him too, and then Akagane shows up, and he's like. You know, I was just thinking about whether or not I should kill you, but I, I figured we would talk first and then we'll see how things go. And I, and and get to like, I was thinking we should settle our disagreement, Akagane. And then we cut away over to Higuma. He sleeps for five days. They reattach his severed limbs because he can do that because life force. Hell Warden. Um, I, I gets really pissed, at Higu- pissed off at Higuma because he wakes up and is like, ha ha ha. I thought I was going to die. And she puts him in a Boston crab and he taps like a bitch. No one taps to a Boston crab. Yeah, that was Lance Storr's finisher. And that was a half Boston crab. It's much. See, if you only do one leg, it's way more devastating, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) Only young lions tapped at Boston crabs. Uh, I tries to get more information out of Iguma. It's a it's a pity that we never got to the point of uh, like, you know, getting used to this whole hell warden thing and not just being there to work as a source of just explaining shit because that seems like most of what she has done in this series is just have things explained to her because she is the normal person. She is the audience surrogate and we didn't really get to see too much of what, how she was like as a character beyond being pissed off at all this, you know, all the stupid self-defeating shit that he was spewing. She points out the fact that she's like, I've heard that, you know, that you're able to recover from this stuff because of life. You know, you, you use life force to do this. So that means that every time that you go into battle and you use your uh, abilities and stuff and you recover your wounds, that means you're spending your life force and that means you're going to die early. And he was like, ha, 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 ha. And he start, she starts to choke him and he's like, no, 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 just, no, it, I'm, I'm laughing because, you know, you're expressing concern for me. But no, look, like, uh, you know my family has been able to manipulate life force this entire time. So 
they actually gave us the Zaiju in order to work in conjunction with these abilities. It's not quite like that. I mean, yes, I need to use life force in order to recover from wounds and stuff, but it's it's a little bit different from what you think. Um, and then he says that while he was asleep, he talked with Enma. So you see, I was like, so what you're saying is that what you want to do is capture every fugitive spirit. But if you're finding them one at a time, you're going to die before you could ever possibly finish. So there has to be another way. And Higuma's like, funny you should say that. When I was asleep, I had a conversation with Enma. And and we just see that conversation start. And it's like, are you seriously going to just like, and in the last chapter, all the fugitive spirits are defeated. It'll be just like Takamagahara, where they're just like, and then all everything happened and they won the battle. <laughs> they were all beaten. <laughs> Those are some of my favorites when it's like, Fuck it. I'm just blowing it all to hell. Everything was done at the end. Was gonna be chapter 356 is now chapter 20. Series done. <laughs> uh, Yeah, so this series happened. Let's move on to Neolation. Yeah, which... Neolation. This, is cool, definitely... this chapter, these chapters are fast. <laughs> like, it's, they go through a lot of shit. It's so sad because Starting with with process, uh, process eighteen fake news, they really made you think for a moment that we were starting a new arc, that we mm. weren't just going to end it very abruptly. Because we meet a new character. Her name is Chinami, and she is a very passionate young high school girl who kind of voices her thoughts about everything. And because she's so overly energetic, a lot of people have kind of bullied her and referred to her as the loser tuber. Because she makes because a lot of YouTube YouTube's. videos. YouTube's, yeah. yeah. And people think she's a dork. And we see that there's things where she kind of cries because, uh, you know, she'll put up a video where she pours her heart out. And then there are people who say, like, I, I get what you're saying. I like it. You know, so despite being bullied so much and even stopping going to school, she's very passionate about this. And I do like it because she is sort of a weird girl. Like, she says bye by going, ciao, vinny, vinny, vici. And everyone's like... What? You're a loser. Go away. <laughs> uh, but she's also we love you. Yeah. Uh, and everyone's like, you know, at least she tries, you know, uh, she's walking home, passes by a shrine. And it's like, ooh, I'm going to go see ghost spirits and stuff like that. Runs all the way up the stairs uh, and just happens to encounter a secret meeting between a politician and the producer of a video company who is basically saying, hey, yeah, we're going to put out a ton of fake news about all of your opponents so that we can, you know, keep you in power. Basically, you know, a conspiracy going on. She encounters it and is like, oh, I need to get out of here. Uh, but she steps on. like, Oh, no, a stick. <laughs> and uh, she's caught by the guy. So uh, what they find out, you know, Yoko goes into school the next day. He's like, hey, Neo, you got to help us. He's like. Yes. All right. Who's your missing friend? What? The the famous YouTuber that I love so much? <laughs> I love it because he's like, I know your friend. I'm going to help him. Like, how do you know her? I made a deal with her to dress her up as a pair of dice and then push her down the stairs. And whatever she rolled has, which because her head and legs and arms are sticking out of it, I think it could only possibly end up in one of two different roles. She then has to go and ask somebody that question. <laughs> and like, the, the three questions that we see sampled, one of them is the one she asked, which is, how much would you pay me to go out with you? Which is an amazingly selfish sounding thing. So like, how much well, would you 
also maybe, illegal because she's in high school. Yes, that would be that would that would be compensated dating. Yes. Uh, five. Would you walk link arms with me and walk in front of your something? Maybe school, maybe home, something like that. Four. Would you drink the leftover water from one of my bottles? <laughs> All very weird questions. I just love the very notion that he was like, he convinced her, like, hey, watch your trap dress like up a giant pair of dice and then fall the around these stuff down the stairs. And she was like, fuck yeah! Don't, don't. And I love the sound effect of it too, which is just bonk! There's an entire elaborate thing about how he finds her because he uses cameras to pinpoint, like, oh, here's where she disappeared, but we saw this car and things like that. Turns out the the guy in the head of production company has kidnapped her and he's holding her hostage until quote unquote the finisher can arrive. And that's like their deadline. They have to save her before the finisher comes because he's gonna kill her. And uh they do it. In that chapter, we see by the end of it that Daigo, Yoko, and, and Neo are, are are a well-oiled machine at this point, and they're actually working together really effectively, which leads us to uh process 19, then uh my friends and I. And, yeah, they they basically save her. You know, it comes to a point where both uh, Yoko and Daigo look like they're in a bad spot. So Neo uses his hacking, shuts off the lice. They came they came up with, like, kind of an impromptu night vision goggles that was pretty creative. Mm-hmm. That was, like, cool to see. And I, they get out. I love the shot that was, like, the lights turn out so it's completely dark. And then Yuko and the girl and Shinami just run around the producer guys so they could stop them <laughs> so, so that they could get past him. And I love how imagine you're just like, you know, if this... <laughs> hey! <laughs> you get back here! <laughs> what? I just I just heard something really weird. Just go past me. Damn it, I don't know where they are. <laughs> <laughs> We're in a hallway. I don't know. <laughs> just turn around. It's the only other way they would go. Uh, yeah, no, they do all that. Brother Taz, even their getaway driver, showing that he probably would have been part of the group. But it doesn't matter because this is the end of, of Neolation. There's a little bit at the end where they're like, hey, Chinami, you help get back at him. You use your YouTube videos to basically show that all this guy's fake news creation was a giant conspiracy and bring him down, which is By a very... also editing together a fake video. <laughs> which is a very beautiful thing, a very optimistic to believe that you could stop fake news by pointing out that it's fake news but it doesn't work that way anyways life is a hellscape that we live in in current mayday america and neolation is ending uh it ends at least without the uh, it ends on like the idea of like and the adventures continue because they don't encounter about in they're still like getting ready to do that yeah so we see like the beast uh, a meeting of like the beasts all together and give out and sing there with a boogie and two other guys and they're like ah, we heard about that guy that politician that, that or that video editor guy got caught in this video. So I guess that we're, he's not going to pay us for that job we were going to do. That, yeah. So we get the idea that there were a lot more stories to tell. And I kind of enjoy these endings a little bit more because it doesn't feel like you have to force everything to the end. You kind of as an audience member can at least be like, oh, I, maybe I'll imagine how the stories go from here. Because in my mind, I like to think Tsunami even becomes part of the team and things like that. But that's it. That's the end of Neolation. Mm-hmm. It's a very, very good series, I think. It's just a shame it didn't catch on. It took a little bit for it to catch on with me, about, you know, four chapters. And I think that that might have been, you know, the problem is that some people just caught on to it too late for it to really build back momentum. Um, but, you know, hopefully we'll see more from these uh, this team that uh, of uh, Hirao and uh, Yoda. Um, but, yeah, I mean... 
there was a lot going for the series in terms of there was interesting ideas. There were some cool moments. So I hope that we see stuff from them again. Yeah. This is the second series that they have worked on together. So I would hope that they would uh, do something editor again, or rather they worked on a one shot together and then they worked on this series together, but this was their first series proper. So um, maybe we'll see a new series from them running jump in a couple of years. So, all right, uh, let's talk about The Last Sayuki, uh, which, by the way, we have gotten a little bit of an idea now of how it's doing in Japan. It looks like it's doing eh, and it looks like Yuya Kimio might be doing better. So Nick knows how to pick him. Nick, did you see last week's Yuya Kimio as the main character running around because Black Kimio was running around and he worries she's not wearing any panties? It's the entire chapter. Oh, Teenage Renaissance David's still running, by the way. Yeah, good for it. Okay, so... You guys need to start betting. Like, we need to start doing a stock tip show and just always bet on the inverse, like a sports betting show, where I'm just like, guys, I'm going to tell you this once and one time only. The Giants will not draft a quarterback super high at six overall. They're going to go defense. Defense, defense. Oh, fuck me. Why? The last Sayuki. Chapter 8, Allies. Uh, Rinosuke has bonded with Kaharu, which allows him to unlock more of the potential of the Nyoi bow and use it better. He does some cool stuff in this spat that he has with Sai to begin with, uh, such as taking control of his Nyoi bow and using it against him, which is badass as fuck. <laughs> um, he does stuff like, you know, widen it out too to use as a shield and there's a cool fight scene that happens um he gets the better of science and he holds him at holds him uh the staffer up to his head and says like you're promise me that you're never going to bother us again and he's just like you're not gonna break me you know you can test me if you want you can you know mutilate me like i did your father you can do whatever cruel things you can think of all Rinosuke does is wrapping up, wrap him up with the extending staff and, and ask, you guys can make mater- monsters materialize, so you don't need Koharu to do that. Why don't you just stay away from us? Sai tells him, if Koharu and I had been born as one being, then a kind soul like yourself would be suffering so much. And we have a certain monster we need to materialize. In order to do that, we need to open a lot of Mo's at the same time. And the only one who can do that is Koharu. And he tries to, you know, get inside of Rinosuke's head and say, like, uh, you know, you could become my ally. And then his head explodes <laughs> as another staff comes shooting from behind them and blows him up. Uh, and we see that, oh, he wasn't actually there. He was in a base hidden off somewhere, apparently using an old school video game console to control a copy of himself. I love that it's represented that he has infinite lives. It's a stupid, it's a nice little stupid joke. Um, so he sent a copy of himself instead. Hmm. We see that the person who blew up his head is not Rinosuke's father, but a new character, this really weird looking uh, short man with bi-colored hair and a suit with a polka dyed tie. And uh, he is there with a girl who looks a little bit like Sailor Moon because she's got these, you know, twin buns in her hair. Uh, the buns, one has a yin symbol and the other has a yang symbol uh, in them. And she 
is me like, what the hell are you doing? You just blew up that guy's head and he ignores her and and is like, that's not a real person. That was a monster. He was, you know, copying a person. Um, and he starts to he says, like, look, I'm in the same profession as your father. Speaking of whom, he addresses Rineski's father as Gohaku and says, why is Son Goku's other half here? Uh, when we go into chapter nine, which a lot of it is this vision that Ryunosuke has of uh, <clears throat> not Koharu, but Koharu's previous life, basically. Uh, he passes out along with Koharu right after all the action is done, wakes up inside of his school. And when he sees Koharu's voice, goes into a classroom. There is a taller version of her wearing a mask and with, you know, limbs and such. Um, the mask is very similar and might even be identical. I can't recall to the one we saw Kohara wearing in the first chapter in that flash forward scene. She explains who she is and then is like, like, I'm a memory of Kohara's previous life. And because the two of you have connected, I'm able to come here and speak with you. And then she invites him to play a game of quote unquote connect five. I'm not sure exactly what game that's supposed to be. It seems similar to uh, Go, but yeah. Um, amusingly, Ryunosuke beats her and she's like, oh, come on. I, I, I said we were going to have a fun game. And he's like, well, I don't hold back when I fight when I play games with people, though. And she's like, yeah, but if I don't hold back, then I become all knowing. So I have to dumb myself to stupid human level. And Ryunosuke's like, yeah, but I just beat you. So <laughs> Um, she gives a lot of explanation to Ryunosuke about story and abilities and stuff. And the main thing that she says is that humans are capable of doing a lot more than they perceive themselves of doing. The whole thing with Mo is a double edged thing. They can make monsters manifest, but they can also grant themselves the power to reattach limbs, control their own cells and destroy the monsters that they summon. And what my ability and what Kahara's ability is, is just the ability to open that up, give humans the ability to remember their true strength, and then they can come closer to the true human form. The change that you went through in the fight you just had was because your desire, Kahara's words of wanting to stay together, were the same. In order to fulfill your wish, your Mo opened more and you were able to come closer to the true human form. But, you know, you weren't able to handle it all once. That's why you passed out. So... They talk a bit more um, and they end up going outside and she shows Rinosuke the scene of himself walking with Shige, chatting and having a good time. And she just says, you know, this is the future you could have. This is a summer vacation without Koharu. You know, we can do the same thing that the white Baku did. Shige, we can you know just have you wake up and have you forget everything about Kaharu and the monsters. You can have a normal life. You are, you're a good person. You're a strong person. You could protect Kaharu and everyone, but you are a child. You, you know, I know that you think this is your responsibility, but you don't have a, an obligation to actually shoulder all of this stuff. You're, you're just a kid, and Kaharu and I care about you, and we want you to be safe and have a normal life, even if it means forgetting us. And Ryunosuke rejects this. He says that, look, even if I forget everything that has happened so far and go and try and go back, I mean, it's not going to be the same. And, you know, look, 
the stuff that I told you before about how, you know, Shige let me accept my mother's death and get back to normality. No matter how bad it is, I have to accept everything about my family in order to move forward in life. So tell me the way that Kohara and I can both have that normal life. She gets upset with him uh, and says, like, you're, you're not going to be able to do that until you get to the very end. And Ryanosuke's like, fine. And they start to have a childish argument because although she is older than Koharu, she's seemingly not a lot older. She's probably like, I don't know, 12 or something like that. Um, and eventually she gives in and is like, OK, look, we don't have a whole lot longer to talk. You know, she points up and says, you know, when this this solar eclipse has begun and once it's complete, then uh, that means you're waking up. So here's the thing that happens at the end, basically. Koharu is going to open everyone's Mo at the same time. She will produce the hundredth monster from the Tales of Momo. No matter what you do, that is going to happen. The ones who have case ability, this is what we are born to do. And so what you need to do is not strive to prevent her from awakening people's Mo. You need to be able to defeat the final monster that will destroy the Earth rather than close all the Mo's that Koharu has opened. Humans can do anything. If you become a true human and defeat the hundredth monster, you can probably release Koharu from her cursed destiny. Rinosuke says he doesn't really understand, and she says, that's fine for now. Just remember, as you get closer to becoming a true human, at the same time, you lose more of your humanity. So don't forget the kindness you possess and the reason why you want to save her. And he wakes up, and we get a... A, a gag to end the chapter as he goes into the next room and he sees the girl that we saw earlier posing like a magical girl and referring to herself as Mighty Lingling, the Onmyo exorcist girl. And she gets embarrassed because she's been seen by this boy. I really like this second chapter, um, mostly because of the bit, the fact that this girl has offered Ryunosuke the chance to walk away and he has said no. Um, you know, he is flat out saying like, no, I'm going to take this on and I'm going to do this. And even though he's been given this big old like you can you can walk away from this and no one will think anything less of you. Uh, this is, in fact, what the sister you've just taken on wants for you to do. And he's still like, no, I'm going to do this and I'm going to be a hero, basically. So he has fully accepted on his protagonist role, basically. Um, and there's others. There's a lot of other cool stuff in this that I really like. I like, I like the fact that we're just getting this this explanation of like, yeah, so the bad thing's going to happen. And so that I mean, we can't you know operate under the illusion that the bad thing's not going to happen because we already said it was in, the, in chapter one. But here's what you can do about it. So it's good. It's good stuff. Yeah, I, I think I'm, I'm dipping a little bit out of the series just because it's becoming weirdly more shonen-y with the new characters that I was kind of not super keen into, but I do like the the second chapter as a way to kind of like give the hero reaffirmation reaffirmation about like kind of what his his desire is and even though it's dangerous, he's like I'm gonna, I'm gonna protect my, my new little sister. It does seem to be a thing about like odd chapters and even chapters with this series. The odd chapters are good. It's like inverse Star Trek movies or some shit. It's weird. Yeah. All right, let's move on to We Never Learn, starting course with question 108. Spirits on the sand draw tomorrow's pizza bet part two. Uh, so Asumi is very... Next chapter is next chapter is the same title, but part three. Yeah. Uh, Asumi is very distant because, as we remember from last week, 
her family is closing the clinic down. Her dad's getting ready to hang up the towel, so she's very distracted with that. And uh, she even is like, she's so sad. She's very distant in class. Misses like a question. Uego is like walking home with her. It's like, yeah, I've never seen you really get stumped like that. And uh, he's like, are you okay? Is there anything you want to talk about? She's like, everything is fine. And then she, she, she makes up a lie. She's like, nope, stayed up too late studying last night. And then she's like, no, actually, the real secret is I couldn't sleep because I was thinking about you all night. He's like, stop teasing me. Uh, and she's like, uh-oh, it looks like I'm going to rain. I have to get to work. Bye. So she runs off. And Uega passes by, who I didn't know who this fucking was at first. Until I the... thought it might be Asumi's mother. Yeah. Uh, because she's got a short haircut. And then for, through context, I realized, oh, it's two of the girls from the maid cafe. Yeah. Then again, it's like out of the many different supporting characters that each of the girls have, I think the maid cafe girls are like the least established of any of them. So Apparently their names are Machiko and Hamora. But if you had paid me a million dollars to try to guess them, I would have never known what to say. No. So uh, basically the, from this, he finds like, wait, the maid cafe is closed today. You're doing like a nurse event tomorrow. Then that right. means she was lying to me. So he goes over and he finds a Subi scene on this park bench. And he's like, what are you, you know, what are you doing out here? Uh, she's like, hey, get the fuck out of here. You you can't get sick right now. Actually, no, this is still Uwego. He just does both of those. Uh, and he sees that she's staring at that picture that she drew as a child of her being the, the doctor of the clinic. And it blows out of her hands. It goes flying into the water. And Uwego's like, stupidly starts jumping up like, I'll jump into the water and save that picture. And uh, Sumi's like, no, just let it go. And, well, and then Yuiga's like, no, no, it's special to you. And she's like, no, just let it go. Just, just let it go. Yeah. And uh, they go take cover at like in a playground at one of those like little dome things. And she explains how the clinic's closing, how there's this big hospital built next door and they've been getting less and less patients every day. And ultimately, it's a good thing because that facility has everything that can take care of those those people and. As a doctor, he wants what's best for his patients, even if it's not him. So, Asumi is clearly trying to rationalize all of this. She's like, mm -hmm. yeah, you know, he never had that all that stamina and patients have been coming. So, you know, maybe maybe it all works out. And, you know, Uega puts his head on her, his hand on her head. And she's like, well, you tried to make me cry? Remember, I'm your senpai. And he's like, no, nope, it's the op opposite. Looks like you've been doing a lot of crying all alone. And, uh, she starts trying to insult him, like, oh, you think you're cool, you jerk, you player, you horny toad. Uh, but then she breaks down because this is actually very sad and she don't she doesn't know what to do. And we see that all these layers of facade and pranks that she throws up are kind of breaking down and mm -hmm. she's just sad because she is completely directionless right now and doesn't know what to do. It's really disheartening, honestly, because the entire time we've known her, it's like this is what she has dedicated her life towards. And having had it recently reinforced, like this is something that she's wanted to do basically her entire life. And now it's completely out of her power to do anything about it. It's just going away. Yeah. So. So she's very sad about that. You know, eventually they leave because the rain stops and she's like, hey, just, you know, forget everything you heard today. But, uh, you know. Thanks for coming to find me, I guess. Uh, there's a little bit of a moment where uh, her mother then spots Uega and is just like, oh, you know, glad to see things are working for you guys. Uh, and he finds out from this conversation that sees a uh, volunteer surgeon overseas. And he's like, why do you live overseas? And we don't 
see the end of that conversation. Mm-hmm. Instead, we go over to the maid cafe where it's nurse day today. And she's like, well, can't bring my personal stuff into work, so I got to bring good energy today. And Uega's back there. He's like, hey, uh, Asumi, let's play doctor together. She's like, say Phrasing! <laughs> Uega is really bad about that. Every week, he, he forgets it. So, I'm sure there won't be another easily mistakable thing that he does this week, though. Nope, nope he's going to get it right this time. So... Uh, chapter 109 then yep we already did that we open up with uh, a flashback to a decade earlier as you see asumi's uh father handling who has apparently always looked old he's always looked fucking ancient uh and he's he's spending time with all the people at his clinics and it's it's funny because or not funny but it's cute because you see all these different relationships he has with all these patients who are clearly he has a long rapport with and it's very nice and we see asumi watching from behind a curtain just smiling the whole time she's very excited uh then we we see basically the moment when asumi's mother was getting ready to leave and her mother kept saying like wouldn't it be better if i just stayed here and dad's like no you you, you've got something you want to do and you know we both have to do the work that's calling for us there's no reason for you to be here just out of an obligation and her mother's still worried but asumi's like don't worry mama you only have to you have work only you could do right so i'll handle the clinic and she's wearing a doctor's coat and she's so cute it's very adorable <laughs> and then we see her in her regular doctor outfit which honestly wasn't as fetishy as i was worried it was there's still a mini skirt to it yeah but, yeah uh, but like it's i could imagine someone actually working in a clinic wearing this yeah so it, it, it makes sense uh, so she's like, all right, we're going to do a patient checkup doctor thing. This is our weird doctor fetish made cafe now. Uh, and as soon as people go up, she starts like fucking just beating into them immediately. Be like, you stayed up too late last night. I can see you. You've been eating food again, haven't you? Bad food. I see it. Like, it's not even like, like everyone's like, wow, what a great diagnosis. She's maybe not even like giving people instructions how to get better. She's just dressing them down. <laughs> She's like, you, you said you weren't going to go to the golf course, but you clearly been spending too much time on your back's fucked up. He's just like, oh, shit, she got me. What I find is so hot. Scold me more. Step on me. Basically, it feels like why people are staying in line. But we do see because she's listening and everyone's like, yeah, you know, it's just like when I was uh, going to uh, a clinic as a child, you know, it was nice. You know, having a neighborhood clinic where everyone knew who you were and everything like that. They're like, it's too bad. There aren't more places like that nowadays. And uh, Sumi thinks back to all those kinds of memories she had watching her dad. It's very nice. Mm-hmm. She has a sweet moment there. And she's like, hey, I'm calling in that favor. You have to let me keep this costume a bit longer, which is weird because I'm like, isn't the costume just a coat? Everything else seems like normal ass clothes. You know what? Whatever. I guess I'm not a clo- I'm not a, a costume store sp- uh, professionalist, I suppose. So she goes to give him like a, a, a like a personal checkup, and uh, you there's know, there's the- a shot where it looks like she's kissing him uh, because it's one of those like from behind, so you can't see their mouths. But yeah, she's just kind of like looking in his mouth with yeah. a little flashlight. And she's like, oh, we're going to listen to your heart. And he's just like, oh, jeez. There's a weird moment where he's like, I should look down her shirt. And I was like, how can you see anything down her shirt? It's like a collared, buttoned up shirt. It's amazing because you see her in normal shots 
And yeah, the shirt goes basically all the way up to her above her solar plexus. And she's wearing a tie over it as well. But then when she leans down in front of him, somehow the gap becomes wide enough that you can see a little bit of cleavage. So that I don't know what how much of the shirt just disintegrates between shots, but it's kind of incredible. (laughs) But then she uh, she twists it and she she puts the stethoscope on him and lets him start listening to her heart. And. She starts talking about things, how she's like, you know, I, I thought you were just messy with me at first about everything, and doing so, it rang true with all these memories I have from being in a clinic, all these strong feelings, so it'd be nice to, like, you know, sit in this chair one last time. And she starts getting very open about how everything about this clinic has meant everything to her ever since she's a child, even to today. You know, everything about this has been the most important thing. And that if she loses this place, she's not going to have anything. And you can start seeing her heartbeat is getting more, like, rapid and loud as Uega is kind of listening to it. And she's like, you know, I, I understand it's not the right motivation, maybe, to to be in this. You know, maybe it even kind of takes me away from being a respectable medical student if I'm more interested in this clinic than actually helping people. But... I maybe I should just let go of all these med school things completely. And then Uega like scoops her up and she's like, what the fuck are you doing? And he's uh, carrying her bridal style. Like it's just. (laughs) And uh, he lays her down on the patient bed and he's like, senpai, uh, senpai, I had no intention of helping you create a nice memory. And uh, he lays her down the bed and that's where the chapter ends. She's just like, (laughs) The fuck? <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> but I, I like it. These two chapters have been very, very powerful. And, and there's something oddly. I, I think it's just the fact that it went with something different. And it strikes mm. where she's like, I'm going to let you listen to my heartbeat. There's something oddly romantic about it, even though it's not a mm. romantic thing. But just this idea of being so open and earnest and raw with the other person. Yeah. Letting yourself just be ripped so casually open, especially for a character who kind of covers herself in so many layers of facade mm-hmm. like her. So like, it was a really nice chapter, I thought. When you get down to it, this, the stuff that happens between them is not actually all that fetishy. But there is also something that feels very intense about it. Mm-hmm. I can definitely see, like, you know especially as for someone who would be like really into like shipping these two easily getting really, really freaked out by this. Like, Oh my God, you know? Um, and at the same time, of course the, this series has really made me feel for Asumi because we've always known. Yeah. This stuff means a lot to her, but the fact that she could work for this job and have it, taken away completely for reasons outside of her control. And now she's just kind of falling into this pit of despair is really, really, really heartbreaking. And, uh, you know, I'm sure that Yuiga is going to do something to help her fix it, uh, see a new path forward or something. Hmm. But, um, yeah, for right now, it's just very, very sad. I do appreciate this is maybe the only time I've ever seen a harem story where, it never, like, when these chapters kind of happen, usually when it's like, oh, the fifth girl is having her moment with the main character, you're always kind of like, 
eye rolling like sure let's see how this goes like because you just know that they don't have a chance but maybe it's because Juega is so unconsciously kind of not even thinking about his feelings towards any of these girls really Mm -hmm. except like kind of this broad stroke feeling kind of towards them that just the intimacy they're able to have well 50 chapters or so into the series he rides like wait a minute these girls are well, they keep on like showing a lot of skin around me. <laughs> <laughs> they keep they keep trying to like have moments with me, holding my hand. Uh, no, I just I, I do kind of like that. This is one of the few times like a side character like this has had this moment, and you're like, you don't think like, oh man, maybe this is going to be the one final girl, but you do kind of think like this is much more of a genuine moment than I would expect this kind of character to have with the main yeah. character. The strength of the series is that Yuiga has bonds with these girls that go beyond like, oh, they could end up being They're the girl. So pretty. That he, right. Like that. It, he bonds with them because they actually do care about each other on a level other than that. So you can become invested in something beyond just like, is this going to be the girl that he ends up with? And so, you know, the stuff like, you know, with Kirisu or the fact that, you know, he helped her out, the stuff with Fumino helping her with her father and and all that stuff. It's like even if you don't care about them as a romantic couple, you can you know get into the stuff that is actually going on in those little stories. So, yeah. All right. Let's move on then to Dr. Stone. So nothing, ha- nothing happened this week. <laughs> nothing before happened. So everyone arrives at Treasure Island or whatever you want to call it, um, where the Soyuz capsule has some platinum in it. And uh, they before they actually get there, uh, a storm blows in, basically. Uh, I'm skipping over some stuff here, but I was honestly like there's not a whole lot really important there, uh, except for the fact that they establish that, well, there are going to be people uh, on this island because and we know about that because, uh, you know, so uses here now. So use the bald guy, not so use the capsule. Um, and Chrome is worried, like, hey, what if, you know, that Y man guy, the guy who contacted us, is a member of the tribe on Treasure Island? We don't really know anything about this. Uh, there's also a brief moment of intensity where uh, the chief confronts Soyuz and is like, I, I, why, why did you keep this secret for so long and all this? And he's like, ah, no, I'm sorry. You know that I'm, I'm 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 glad that you shared it with us. You know he realized like he's you know being an asshole to him for no reason and snaps himself out of it really quickly. It's a it's a nice little detail that he realized like no no I mean I shouldn't really blame you for that. So um, there's a big moment where Soyuz gets emotional. Anyway, moving on. Uh, <laughs> We get a little bit of a tour of the Perseus uh, and the stuff that's inside of it. Interestingly, two ship cutaways in the same week. Hmm. Um, there is a joke right before this because Yuzuriha makes a note of like, you know, I kind of like to see you know, how this whole ship was put together. And immediately Kaseki and Senku and uh, Ryusui are overhear her and Kohaku and Nikki are like, oh, you did it. Those boys are gonna go and show you all their stuff now, and they're like, "Oh, you want to see the boat that we made?" And they're like, "Ah, we, tr- yep, you, you, they can't, they never pass up a chance to demonstrate all the stuff that they've been working on." Usury is just like, "Ah, eh, I'm used to this." Senku wants lectures for five hours how rockets work. <laughs> <laughs> I do always love, like, the dead-eyed response Yuzuria occasionally gives of, like, oh, this is the hell I've lived before. <laughs> I've grown accustomed to it. 
this is the person I've entrusted my life to. <laughs> and I have to accept that. Um, we also see, you know, some of the little aspects of, you know, life on a ship. Like, we got seasick, but we've got a remedy for seasickness. And then a storm blows in. Ryusui doesn't give a shit about it, though. He's just having he's just having a little latte that Francois has made for him. Uh, and he's like, yeah, you're, don't worry about it, guys. I've been through plenty of storms and sailed through vessels between this. There's nothing to, to freak out about, so everyone keep calm. And then Senku comes running in with his eyes all bugged out and his face all demented. And everyone's like, oh, oh he's freaking out, though. And Senku's like, no, I'm not panicking. It's just that this is our chance. <laughs> he's, he's, it's like, we have to take advantage of this to, to, to sneak onto the island in the cover of the storm because they won't have our scientific tools. They won't be able to, to see through this, but we can and sure enough, next chapter, uh, Z equals 103, Light of Hope and Despair. They are able to breach the coach basically almost completely uneventfully. Um, there is a shot of Ukyo uh, looking over the sonar as they pull in. Uh, and then when the storm clears up, uh, Ryusuke congratulates everyone on a job well done. Uh, Yo and Magma try to rush in onto the island. Yo to find buried treasure and magma to murder the islanders. <laughs> it's just, he just, you know, got an axe in hand. Like, Off to murder the islanders. And Nikki kicks them both in the nuts. And yeah. It's amazing that she does that because she does it with one with, with the same leg. So good for her. Yeah. Uh, Senku addresses everyone and says that the scouting squad is about to move out. And we see Suika, who comes out of a porthole below decks and rolls up onto the deck. Yay, I called it. Uh, but she starts to roll uh, out onto the deck, but uh, Ryusui throws a barrel on top of her and sits down on the barrel before anyone can spot her. Hmm. Um, Ryusui says that the scouting party is going to be very f small. Uh, they're just going to send out Senku, Soyuz, Gen, and Kuhaku, and everyone else is just going to stay on the ship. Um, although Kohaku brings up the fact, like, you know, I know that I was sent because, you know, I've got really strong eyes, but Yuki has got really strong hearing. So I would think that he would want to, uh, come to. And Gen says like, well, he was really occupied with the sonar. He's scanning the seafloor. Once the four of them are gone and are climbing up onto the shore, uh, Ryusui releases Suika and lets her out. And everyone's like, oh, what are you doing here? And Suika's like, I just wanted to be helpful, and I, I, I can be a scout. And Ryusu's like, No, you're, you know, you're a stowaway on this vessel, and we're basically just going to hold you here until we can return you to where, to the port that you came from. And so, until we are able to do that, you're just going to sit here and, and behave yourself. But Francois comforts her and just whispers in her ear, saying that, Look, you know, this could be a really dangerous mission, and he doesn't want to risk a child's life. He's just concerned about your well-being. And Ryusu's just like, don't speak for me. I can say that if I wanted to. <laughs> but Suika is still upset. So Taiju comes over and is like, hey, you know, there's plenty of ways you can be helpful. So, you know, the, the, sto the storm got the ship all dirty. So we'll clean up in the meantime. And she's like, yay. <laughs> and Gindro is like, what? why are you happy about swabbing the deck? <laughs> has finished scanning the floor and he's like there is something weird down there so if someone has a chance can you go swim down there and check it out and Gendro's like yes I will do that and everyone's just like you just don't want to clean the ship fuck you but he swims down there 
and he discovers that the seafloor is covered in petrified people, <gasps> which is a rather terrifying sight for, I, I mean, we've seen plenty of it, but I think that there's something about like the way that the, they're ex, about their expressions, the way algae is growing all over them. That uh, is really, um, yeah. So he reports this and Ukiyo immediately gets freaked out, which Yo's just like, well, we've seen those statues everywhere. And Ukiyo explains, no, listen, the timeline doesn't make sense. The petrifying beam swept across the earth and at the time that it did, this island was uninhabited. It wasn't until much later that the astronauts' tribe propagated. When did the statues Ginro, Ginro saw down there get petrified? And Ryusui suddenly feels this sensation coming from behind his shoulder from something up on the cliffs, a figure watching them, and he realizes we're being watched. And he demands, who are you? And then we cut away to uh, the scouting party who split up because uh, they can't get in contact with uh, the uh, Petraeus anymore. Uh, so Gen and and uh, Soyuz head up to the top of a cliff to try and get a better signal and so that they can also view the ship through a telescope. Soyuz looks at the ship and he freaks out. Gen picks up the telescope and looks at the ship and he sees uh, Ryusui's petrified head as he has fallen on the ground, like his arm has fallen, has broken off too. Everyone on the deck of the ship is petrified in mid-motion, several of them with, you know, terrified expressions on their faces. Uh, like Ukiyo is in the middle of like shooting his bow. Uh, a bunch of them are lying on the ground and again, freaks out. And we see the so elsewhere on shore. Suika is hiding in a tree and she's like, I Suika doesn't know what's going on. But just at the last second, that kick from Ryus, we sent me flying far away. And we see that, you know, Breeze was actually in a follow through motion from having punted her ashore to save her. And his um, arms broken off. They can put people back together, though. We've, but we've maybe established they it. don't do it and he loses his arm. I'm not too worried about this, about the actual consequences of all of this. Um I do like that there's the bit at the end where Senku and Kohaku are exploring around because they have no idea what happened. They're just like, look, seashells. So, so the people here know about know about know about the revival fluid. All right. Well, let's begin our scientific ex investigation. So it's like just a normal chapter ending of Dr. Stone because they have no idea what's just happened. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, so clearly someone has deliberately used the petrification uh, beam, it seems like. Uh, so a new challenge for everyone to overcome and quite a, I mean, that scene, just like everyone refrozen on the ship, uh, is kind of shocking and really gives you a sense of like, oh, wow. Okay. So there might be some really bad stuff happening here. So it's also unnerving too, cause there's quite a few people on there who were never frozen in stone. So some of them you're like, oh, like, like they're not going to have too much of an issue with it. But yeah, like when you look at like Koseki and Chrome and. And people like that, you're like, oh, for them, this is this is terrifying because you know that you can still keep a consciousness during this to some extent. <laughs> yeah. So. I'm looking forward to seeing where this goes. Yeah. Uh, what's going on with this uh, group of islanders who apparently petrify people. So. All right, let's jump over to the seven deadly sins. The uh, one. one yeah, just the one, one chapter series this week. Yeah. Uh, chapter 308, epilogue two. So last time 
we got a whole thing about how uh, Melodius is probably going to have to go. And that's basically what this chapter is all kind of about. There's a moment of bond laying in bed with Aline. And she's like, ah, you know, like I something's happening, right? Like, bond, I love like, that before we get into the plot relevant stuff, they basically just turn to the to the reader and is like, yeah, we just had sex. <laughs> basically. Uh, Which I don't know if I can remember another reading another shonen series just do that or just like these two characters just had sex just so you know <laughs> i it's it's seven deadly sins is also unique it's, it's the only series it's like established firmly what the ships are they're like here yeah. are all the relationships a lot of them are gonna get married <laughs> and have children uh but yeah aline's basically figured out that like oh well bond tells her like yeah melodius is gonna have to leave this world but I kind of like that almost everybody in this chapter we find it is smart enough to be like, yeah, something's going on. Mm. So Bond even explains, is like, look, I, I, we can't stop it and I don't want to. And I like his explanation. He's like, he's watched every stupid, crazy thing I ever did for you. So I'm going to let him do whatever he's chosen for himself. Like, I believe mm -hmm. that Melodius knows what's best for himself. And it's very sweet. Aline starts crying because she's like, it's really unfair, though, that... All of us have kind of got this happy ending, but Elizabeth's not going to have hers. Yeah. So. And he, and she's like, why, you know, shouldn't we tell her and tell the others? And <laughs> Bond's like, well, the captain doesn't want anyone, doesn't feel like talking to anybody about it. Besides, I mean, a lot of them figured <laughs> it out already. Yeah. <laughs> so there's, we, we get like a whole sequence of stuff that happens. They go to visit this one place and, you know, there, there's a bunch of talking going on. It's a character I do not remember at all who apparently. His hair is stupid. Yeah, he has some relationship with them. But he's like, oh, cool. You know, the Melodius and Elizabeth hanging out together. When's the wedding, Teehee? Uh, and there's even like a quiet, like sort of smirk from Melodius, like a, a foreboding one. Uh, but basically, they're like, hey, we're going to, you know, update our, our everything. So the women all basically are like, we're going to prepare the tea and the guys are going to go prepare the broth. So we basically cut in between these two things. There's a little bit of shenanigans so we can have some more fun, mm -hmm. like one last adventure with the team. Uh, but eventually everyone's like, hey, so um, are we still going to be the seven deadly sins after this? And Bond just openly says, like, yeah, they're not as thick as you think they are. Hawk is seems to be the only one who doesn't know what's going on, basically. Yeah, well, that's and, and and he and he's Hawk, you know. Yeah. So. Uh, so, yeah, everyone's kind of got an idea about it. And we'll go over to the ladies who are also kind of having this talk about like, oh, won't it be nice one day when like all of our children will gather here and be friends the same way we are? Uh, she even talks like, oh, yeah, but Elizabeth's and the captain's uh, children are going to be adorable. And they're like, maybe you should take a step back on that. Uh, and she's thinking, like, you know, I, I really only think the captain's suited for being uh, a captain or a tavern giver, you know, uh, someone that we could see whatever we want. So, you know, like, he's not going to go away, is he? And everyone kind of all quietly is saying, like, yeah, we all know something's up. And Elizabeth just responds, yeah, I know. Maurice is going to disappear from this world. But it's okay. And she seems to have a pretty chipper attitude for it, considering yeah. what's about to potentially happen. But we're going to see. We, we still have more chapters of this to go. A three-chapter-long epilogue, at least. So I, I do like this sweet little chapter to kind of get into this. And I, I do like the idea that almost everyone's pretty much like, something's up with Melodius. I'm not 
stupid. Mm-hmm. He keeps on like being really insistent about us doing his, frankly, his stupid bar. Like a, <laughs> his stupid his bar. his midlife crisis that he has been running for so long. <laughs> <laughs> it's not gonna work. I don't know what to tell you. Nobody likes it. Like we just do it because like we need a place to hang out, and he insists that we help him out with his fucking bar. No one likes it. <laughs> um, I do really like the this epilogue uh, so far. I like the fact that we're. I mean, the seven of these sins. You buy the fact that all of them have this bond between them. It's something about the way that the series has gone so far that you've just been able to see like this camaraderie between them just from seeing them go through so much to help each other out. And so the fact that now they literally can't do anything to help out their captain who is going to go away and they just have to accept that. And they're really upset about it. seems very genuine. All right. Let's go on to the promised Neverland. First is chapter 132 punitive expedition. So the queen uh, has gathered all the different region house uh, lords and dukes and such. And basically what we learned from this is that all the raids that Norman's group have been conducting on farms and stuff, they are under the impression that they're actually being conducted by rogue demon bandits. And so they're sending out an army to uh, make an example of them. Basically they're going to find the supposed demons responsible in a punitive expedition and they shall take care of it before the Tifari. And we see that they are sending out um, a lot of demons. There's a, there's a lot of them. <laughs> there's a couple. There are several hundred at least, <laughs> including multiple really big ones. And they've got banners and stuff. And they're marching in file. Uh, a human spy spots them on the move and sends an owl to deliver the word to Norman, who is illustrating this via a chessboard where there is a normal team for the white side and the black side has like three dozen pawns all crumb- all scattered around them. And he's like, ah, yes, this is exactly what we wanted. Attacking the farms, causing the citizens' dissatisfaction to rise, leaving the rulers with no choice but to take countermeasures to subdue the bandits. And they think that, it's the, that demons are the cause. We will use this to first divide their numbers. He just, like, grabs a handful of black pawns. And just, this is how chess works. <laughs> No wonder Norman couldn't be beaten at chess if he was just like, and all your pieces are gone. He's like, if I slap them all off the table, then nobody wins except me. I have all the pieces. Ray's like, I remember what those pieces were. I have baby memories. You can't make me forget what they were. Yes, but you also are not smart enough to play chess. He's like, try me. King to E7. Checkmate. (laughs) They're like, pieces aren't even on the board yet, Ray. <laughs> I'm thinking 17 moves ahead. I've already beaten you. No need to play this game. I've already won. I'll take Just gets up and walks away. I beat leave. Norman in my head. I'll take leave of you now. <laughs> and that is how Norman won every match with Ray. <laughs> Did I ever tell you about how my brother was getting really into uh, to chess? So he was playing an no. online chess game. Oh no. And uh, the first thing that's great that happened out of it was so there was ai in the game and it had different levels and the, the right, base right. easiest level was uh like because everyone had a profile picture the base easiest level was personified as a monkey and Aww. the monkey had uh its strategy was makes erratic moves with no strategy 
and my brother lost to it. <laughs> he, he fell into the 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 fool's checkmate basically on it, and realized like, well, crap. And the monkey just laughs at you, and you lose. My favorite is he would play online, lost to a twelve year old who called him the n word, and never played again. <laughs> I would think that I would never play any game if I played it online and then a 12 year old <laughs> did that. It's like, well, this community is stupid. <laughs> would have quit Yu-Gi-Oh way faster. <laughs> I play actually leads me into a, a very short story. So I there there are various programs that fans have used over the years so that they can play Yu-Gi-Oh online. Back when I was, you know, like 14 or 15, we would just like say what our cards were over aim. But yeah. eventually people so that you couldn't cheat because, you know, you would actually have to, you know, absolutely that would draw the cards for you and would reveal to your opponent what they were and stuff. So you mean I, we reached a point where we couldn't just trust, like a, I was about to a, beat we, you. But again, you've drawn the last card of Exodia. We played uh, on, you know, an episode of Weekly Recap where we had to do like a, a filler episode or something. Um, and like Gav, I think, built you a deck that destroyed me. <laughs> and I was like, ah, this is bullshit. The deck that I built for that, I tested it out online for a little bit. And I played this guy who was using, you know, like Black Feathers, which was a big meta deck at the time. And I was just playing, you know, Skull Servants. And I beat him with the deck. And as I was, you know, uh, saying like, no, no, I just, you know, attacked you with this giant king of skull servants and your stupid armor master has its effect negated. So you don't get battle and damage immunity. So I win. He's like, your deck is is lame, lol, and leaves. And I'm like, I just beat you. <laughs> That's the satisfied one when they have nothing. It would have wor- it would have been much worse if he had beaten you and then was like, see you later, N-word. And left. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'm never playing this game again. It's just toxic as hell. <laughs> what a power move to win the match and still call your opponent the effort. It doesn't even come from a place of anger. It comes from this weird place of bad sportsmanship. It's just this weird place of hatred. And you have to wonder what kind of upbringing this child is going to have. All right. So Norman is confident this plan is going to work because they've divided up the attack force, which importantly leaves the nobles with much less forces to defend them because the Defari is coming up. But when the royal family and five region houses all gather at the imperial capital, they will be shorthanded with their security. And that means that they will be able to kill the royal family and the aristocrats eight days from now. And everyone's really excited about this. And they're like, yeah, we're going to make our next move. Uh, Henry points out, well, what are we going to do about the evil-blooded? And Norman says, I've already come up with something. And Don and Gilda are approached by, uh, was it like, you, uh, he had like a weird name. Ninja guy, whatever. So. Oh, Zazzy? No, 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 no. Uh, the guy with the headband. The guy oh. who really fast. So. Yeah. He has a weird, him. like, ninja, ninja style name or something. Anyway. Uh. 
Ray and Emma have gone through the doorway and they thought that they were going to the seven walls, but they have arrived at the Gracefield house. And in the next chapter, which is titled Let's Play, um, they find, of course, that the house is not exactly what it seems. It looks just like the house, but like, you know, it's completely empty at, at first glance. Then this odd, small black sphere bounces downstairs, lands in front of them, and an eye on it opens up and goes, let's play. Emma stumbles backwards and falls through a door on the ground and is transported somewhere like on the second floor somehow. Ray tries to go after her and the walls start distorting around him. Uh, when the distortion clears up a little bit, Isabella is there along with a bunch of the siblings. She embraces Ray, who calls her mom, which is aw. Um, and uh, she says, you've grown so much. And he's immediately like, how are you? No one ever shows me physical affection. You're, you're an imposter. <laughs> you can't track Ray. Everyone's like, let's play. Let's play, Ray. And all of a sudden, he's he's Kid Ray. He's a little Kid Ray, like even younger than when they were at the start of the series. He's oh like, no, the truth is I have my baby memories, but I forgot my kid memories. <laughs> ah, you'd think that someone with perfect memory would remember the time that that my mom and all of the kids turned into skeletal demons and chased me around the house asking me to play with them. But I don't. Oh, this is what everyone must feel like all the time, forgetting important oh, details oh. like this. Also, I'm being chased by skeletal demons. This is terrifying. Ah! Time to bravely find Emma. Ah! <laughs> She'll save me. Who put this pee on my pants? <laughs> Someone peed in my pants. It could have been anyone. I don't remember who, though. They're like, don't you have baby memories? He's like, I don't not have baby memories. Oh, get memories. You have to fucking keep up. <laughs> it was you who peed in my pants, you imposter. Anyway, skeletons chasing Ray around. Emma is racing through the hallway. I really wish we had had like a Scooby-Doo sequence of her just coming in and out of these various doors for a little bit. But that we don't get that quite. But she does say that every time she tries to go through a door, she just falls back into it. Uh, eventually, she hears uh, uh, she calls out to Ray and just like, we ha I have to find him. And she just shoots at a door and smashes through it. And somehow this leads her back to Ray. So good job, I guess. <laughs> you figured it out. They're like, ah, you figured out the puzzle of the mansion. <laughs> the, the clues were there all around the beginning. Like the giant sign you all missed and turned left at that said, just break things with an axe. Us would have ended very differently if she had just followed that sign instead of stumbling around the Hall of Mirrors. <laughs> you just break your way through. You see, the Shining would have been a lot faster if he had just, you know, <laughs> chainsawed his way through the head maze in one straight line. <laughs> um, so they fall basically forever through the super distorted uh, house while various skeletal children and also toys and robots chant let's play let's play let's play and eventually emma and ray fall into a pile of toys and emma's like ray when did you get smaller and ray's like i don't know oh you're small too oh you're right and then they're back to normal <laughs> just like okay and they're surrounded by toys who are going let's play let's play and emma's like wait a minute you're all from that meeting i had with you because they wanted to play for the first time we talked. 
So I, but I came for the interest this time and we want to make a new pr- promise. So what's going on? Where are you right now? And the toys say, I've always been at that place past the seven walls. Try and find me. The seven walls are inside here. And a little hatch opens up similar to the one at the hideout that they lived in for several years. And uh, there's a ladder leading down through it. And it's like, oh, it's inside here. So I was actually a little bit disappointed by the freaky visuals in this chapter. Like it starts off with like demon skeletal children. It's like, oh, this is going to be freaky. And then the house starts to distort. But it's in a way that you kind of expect a building to distort. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it could have gotten way trippier. So. Yeah, I mean, if you were going to go for like a weird horror chapter, there was definitely a lot more room you could have gone to. Um, mm. But I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, All right. I have a lot to say because there's a lot of just like, well, I guess we'll find out what happens next time. So. All right. Let's talk about Black Clover page 202. I don't know where the chapter title is uh, from another world. There it is. So last time Finral had Nero jump onto his soldier uh, or rather onto his chest. It was like, hey. Bitch face, follow me, dick face. And uh, we're going to see that eventually happen. But right now, Yami is teamed up with Charla, the elf that has taken over Charlotte's body, which is very mm. convenient that they both have the exact same starting like, syllable in their name. <laughs> it's very convenient. Uh, and basically, he's whooping their ass. Uh, there's not a ton to talk about. It's a big battle chapter. There's like a moment where he, you know, Yami fires out one of his dark slashes and he finds out that. Dark magic seems to be the only thing that this devil doesn't just, like, block and take or yeah, whatever. Yeah, completely actually, shrug off. Yeah. yeah, he actually seems to be deliberately avoiding it. So they're trying to do it. Um, but eventually he's like, oh, you know, it's kind of cool. But hey, I have this grimoire now, so uh, I'm going to use it. And he casts some crazy world soul magic. And he summons what we don't really know at the time, but we find out later is like a giant swarm of like leech monsters that are kind of all gathered together on this weird, very gross looking kind of creature. Uh, and it's trying to swallow them. Uh, but before we go see that, uh, Finral is taken over to the skull of the demon from the very start of it by Nero. There's another one of those, uh, Sephiroth in there. And he's like, Hey, put these magic stones in this shit. And uh, take the stones from here and put them up into a statue of a person up at the very top of the Wizard King. And uh, the last two go in his eyes and suddenly magic activates. And we find out in the next chapter, uh, page 203, breaking the seal that that person's coming to life. But first, uh, the leeches are attacking people. Uh, It's eating away at their magic. It gets Yami's left arm and basically like tears away at it. He's like, hey, I guess now you won't be able to use your blade and everything like that. It devours life. It devours magic specifically. The only real consequence of that is that Asta gets overwhelmed at one point. Uh, but he's and he's fine. fine. <laughs> he doesn't have magic. So I guess that's how that works. It attacks people by eating the magic inside of their bodies, and that causes damage to them. So because he has no magic, he's fine. Yeah. So it's like, of course, of course, Asta's fine. He's got the key to defeating this thing. Of course. He's, he's always the counter. Uh, they note that the, the leeches are basically filtering down through the Sephiroth they're in. So Nozel's like, all right, well, fine. Uh, you guys stay here and handle this. I'm going to prevent this thing from just killing all the people in all the other like chambers. So that's his focus. But then we cut back over to, uh, Finral and the first wizard king, the prince has been brought to life and 
Nero's alive too. And Nero's a girl in like a ballerina tutu thing. With and, horns. Yeah. And of course, Finral's first thought is like, you're baggable. And she just gives him like a dead stare. I, I really like this exchange because she because he's just like, oh, wow, I can't believe you're a girl. If you told me sooner, we could have gotten a hot date. And she just glares at him. He's like, sorry. <laughs> I'll, I'll shut up now. Like that that is like perfect. It's just like. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah, yeah I'm wrong, sorry. wrong time for this. Sorry. You know what? I'm just going to be quiet. Uh, so they decide that they're headed over. They're going to use magic. And basically, Nero like pushes Finroll off the statue and is like, hey, just wait there. Thanks for reviving us. But we're headed off to like stop the bad shit from happening. So uh, it looks like they're headed off to encounter and uh, intercept the devil. There's some stuff in these chapters that I do quite like. Um, I I mean, having Nero be revealed as, you know, someone who's connected to all the plots that's going on. So I was like, yeah, OK, fine. But I do actually like um, the fact that she maintains the same personality that Nero had demonstrated at different times. Just like the, you know, th- this, this thing is important fucking do it. And then is really dismissive of everyone who doesn't get to the fucking point. Um, I like the fact that Finro got to do something. Uh, and I like the fact that this other world magic spell is actually really intimidating. It's, you know, it looks really terrifying when he first summons it. It has a terrifying and immediate effect and it works in a way that seems bizarre and dangerous. Uh, the fact that it eats the magic out of people and as you know, it just touches Yami and it really fucks him up in the part of him that it touches. So, um, also, and I, I like the fact that it's like, okay, this is this devil's default magic. But then when he uses this grimoire, there is an actual reason for him to want to have it because it allows him to do something completely different. So overall, I, I actually quite like these two chapters. So. so you can't be mad at me, guys. Yeah. Nick's on your side now. Let's move on and finish up with one piece. Whew. It's like that final sprint at the end. <laughs> but it's all uphill because these are dense as fuck chapters. And it'd yeah. probably be easier just to abridge to the important stuff. 940 sparks of rebellion. Uh, first important thing that happens is that Law has separated from the uh, group that he was with because he's pissed off that Shinobu accused Beppo and the others of giving up their uh, plans. Um, we find out that... Um, Shinobu and Kanjiro actually have no idea who uh, Yo- Yomu? Yasu. Yasu, sorry. Who he actually is. He just kind of talked to them in a way that indicated that they were familiar with each other and they were too embarrassed and polite to go like, who are you against? <laughs> Aikido. Um, the important thing that he t- goes over with them in their conversation is he just says like, OK, well, so this is what's going on. All right. Well, now we've learned about this battle. Look, if just let to, you know, everyone know that if uh, he needs help, we will fight with you. And uh, he as he leaves, he does his whole, you know, um, thing where he just flatters everyone. And of course, it's like Usopp and Nami and, you know, this one random woman who are very easily, you know, enamored by his politeness and flattery and stuff. We get to know Yasu a little bit better as he 
you see him going around the uh, poor village and helping people out, giving them what little food that he has. And he is referred to as the saint of, uh, of the village. And we also learned that he had to actually give up his daughter, Otoko, uh, because and she was sold into a job in the capital and she sends back her earnings to him. So there is that connection made and it becomes very important. And uh, this week. Uh, Luffy uh, continues trying to train while the, all the different guards get sent after him. They fight into the night and then they're like, all right, that's enough. They aren't getting any food. Of course, they're just left in the middle of the ring. Um, so uh, uh, Hyogoro tries to learn from Luffy, like why uh, Luffy's trying to do all this stuff, learn this technique so he can de- defeat Kaido. And Luffy's like, well, I don't want any of these guards listening in while we talk. So hang on. It's like, and knocks them out with hockey. And this. Anyway, so he explains the whole four emperors thing. Uh, Hyogoro recognizes the name Gold, uh, brings up, knows who Gold Roger is which shouldn't be a surprise because he's been in Wano before. Uh, at that moment, Raizo shows up. He is hiding inside of Caribou, who is the person whose cuffs unlocked with the key that he stole. And so Caribou is part of this team now. He, he's just kind of along for the ride. He's going to be the Mr. Three of this of this uh, jailbreak, guys. You got to get used to it. Luffy distrusts him until Caribou says, I've changed. And then he's like, OK, as long as you have, then yeah, I guess you can work with us then. And Garib's like, well, that was easy. Um, Raizo talks up, you know, who Hyogoro is like, ah, you know, he was once the greatest Yakuza boss in all of Wano. And Luffy's like, wow, so this old fart was great in the past. <laughs> Even worse than this dude. <laughs> like, They've done some stuff like, you know, they bring up the stuff they've accomplished. Raizo talks about who's talked with Kamatsu and so on. Uh, we, I think for the only time in this, in these two chapters, see what Chopper's group is up to is they're still riding around on the, uh, cro- crocodile, crocodile, sorry. Uh, and big mom's just like, I'm hungry. I'm tired. I'm hungry. I'm tired. Chopper's like, ah, why is she here? Um, and we get into the next chapter where things start to really move forward in terms of like, OK, it looks like something might actually happen soon now. It's chapter 941, the star of Ibisu. There is a fire that is going on, a wildfire in Curry, which people are reacting to. Uh, someone goes to speak with the Shogun and he's like, no, leave me alone. I, I want Kumurasaki Baggins. And the advisor is just like, listen, listen, Ushimitsu Kozo has been apprehended to that mysterious thief who has been operating and has been alluded to recently. And the important thing that you want to know about is his true identity. When he's told this identity, the emperor freaks out about it. And uh, so like, all right, well, well, he must be made into an example. So put him on light scrolls around the nation. And Kyoshiro says, like, I've already made the light scrolls and got them all set up. So uh, we're all set to go. And so I've took it upon myself to prepare. Then we shall have Ushimitsu Kozo die along with Kumurasaki. And the emperor says, yes, we'll have it be a ritual funeral. The two biggest stars of the city dying together. An ironic twist of fate. I intend to be in attendance of her my horse. So all this stuff is uh, going on. There's going to be a big, we're going to set this guy on fire thing happening. Over at the prison where Luffy and, and Hyogoro are, um, 
Ryzo and Caribou very obviously snuck them a lot of food because Luffy is super fat now and Yogoro's got a gut on him. <laughs> and Queen's just like, did you, did you guys get fatter? <laughs> Nine Luffy just like, let's go! <laughs> let's do it, bitch! Go time! It's sumo time! Oh. <laughs> just how obvious it is someone stuck us food. <laughs> No, no one fed us. <laughs> oh man. Um, Shuten Maru uh, is where the hideout. Shuten Maru's hideout is where the fire was set, so he's got to react to it. Um, this was all manipulated, seemingly, by Kinemon and Dogstorm in order to basically force him into actually taking action. And Kinemon's just like, look, we, we've got to have a sure working with us. So he's kind of just justified uh, seemingly giving up uh, Ashura to everyone. So um, then we uh, cut over to where Zoro uh, was hiding out with. Uh, I, I keep on forgetting uh, Kamurasaki's real name. I'll get it eventually, I promise. And uh, Otoko and uh, Brooke comes across them as as uh, they're waking up and uh, he's like, yeah, so I actually was like hiding out in this shrine. And whenever people would come by, I would, I would just go, oh, I'm hungry. And so people were leaving these offerings and stuff. Um, there's a whole thing because like the girls had cuddled up to Zoro while they were sleeping and um, Zoro is just annoyed by this. Also, I love the way that Brooke reacts to it because his eyes bug out, but he doesn't have eyes. So just the darkness within his eyes bugs out instead. Or it's his hair. I'm not sure. I, it's hard to tell. <laughs> so, you know, they're like, Brooke's like, I'm so jealous of you that you had this beautiful woman sleeping next to you. And so it was just like, we were just sleeping. And Kamurasaki is like, everyone is so besotted by the thought of sleeping next to me. So was it exciting for you? And so I was like, Oh, okay. Well, the, you're weird, aren't you? <laughs> He's like someone thinks highly of themselves. I love. I, I I do. I hope that she maintains some aspects of that because, like, you gotta hold on to these scraps whenever Oda does the whole like, yeah, this girl's just gonna be the same woman that I put in every arc. It's like, okay, please and keep this one aspect of her character that makes her unique, please. Yeah. You know, where she just has that you know thoughtless narcissism to her. It's you know like she she doesn't get exactly what the what the nature of it is so that's fine yeah they learned that Nushimitsu Kozo is going to be put to death uh and Brooke's like yeah it turns out that he was you know this actually quite a popular in Ibisu town he's you know something uh Yasu and, and so I was like wait Tono Yasu that weird guy who was following me around and Otoko's like that's my daddy and she immediately <laughs> runs off <laughs> That's the perfect voice for her. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> just, that two second clip was such a hell to listen to. And I feel like that's the perfect voice that you're just like, God, I gotta hope her dad dies. <laughs> no, my daddy's dead! <laughs> So she immediately runs out of the, out of the shrine in order to try and save uh, her father. And immediately, Kamara's like, it's like, no, you're wanted too. You'll be put to death too. And she just she's just running full breakneck to go after it. 
Kamurasaki is like, oh, thanks. I, I, I got to go stop her. And Zoro's like, no, you're not going to be able to protect her. I didn't just hold on. And Brooke is just like, don't leave me here and runs off after them. So it's just a train of people chasing each other back into the capital. <laughs> it's for a girl rushing to try and save her father, whom she has been separated with for most of her life. It's a bizarrely comedic scene. Yeah. Uh, there's this entire funeral procession for for Kamurasaki, people weeping over her while she's dead or they think she's dead. Um, meanwhile, Tony Asu is going to get crucified and pay for his crimes. And um, while they're mingling in with the crowd, uh, Nami and Robin and Sanji and, and company, um, Shinobu and uh, Kanjiro realize, you know, seeing him with this hair done up like that drags my memory. The fact that he's a thief is the least of his worries. He is Lord Yasuye, one of the daimyo who stood alongside Lord Odin and supported the Kozugi clan. The daimyo of Hokumai, Yasu the Hedgehog. He was once stern and strict, and that's why we didn't recognize him. And uh, we cut to where Tony Yasu is, and he has seemingly had his i guess because he had his uh his top not taken out so his hair is springing out so he resembles a hedgehog mm. and there are people in the crowd who recognize him as lord yasuye and they're like oh my god you're so happy we, 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 we come on spare him show him respect and he's like he's yasu is maintaining his normal person personality of you know being cheerful in the face of in, impending doom and he says listen you know uh, I guess you haven't forgotten about me, but your pleas will go unheard. Orochi will not let me go. But first, I have two things for which I need to apologize to you all. And one thing I wish to say to that fool, Orochi. And once I have made my peace, I intend to go into the great beyond laughing. And he has this big grin on his face and we're intercutting between that and Otoko running to try and, and be with her father crying while she also has that demented laughing expression, the same as her father's on her face. Yeah, so I, I definitely agree with you that this this is a a good thing that One Piece is finally done because it does feel like we're we're pushing things in a, a faster direction. It feels like we're making some forward momentum towards something, which I like. Uh, I'll be honest, I haven't been super into One Piece in like the past couple months just because mm-hmm. it's felt like a thousand. Get char- the point. It feels like a, I'm learning a thousand characters and a thousand bits of lore when like the core of this story has already been firmly established. So it's nice that it feels like we're moving to something. Yep. All right. Oh. You ready, Nick? You ready to wrap this bad boy up and go on into that dusty old sunset? All right. Favorite like character. Filthy whores we are. Favorite character, favorite chapter. I'm gonna wrap, mine up. I'm gonna wrap mine up real quickly because it's we never learn, and it's Asumi. They're kicking it. They're knocking it out of the fucking park every week with that this series recently, and uh, I'm so glad to see how they've developed her. 100 percent behind you on Asumi. Uh, really felt for her in these in these chapters and uh, like the, some of the stuff that we've seen. Love the shot of her as a little kid and her and her like mom's doctor's outfits. It's like, ah, and now her dream has been shattered into a million pieces by the harsh stone of reality. Um, and uh, my favorite series, I'm going to go with Doctor Stone. First chapter not so great, but the second chapter is such a big oh well, shit. Um, yeah. 
game changer uh, with uh, some good character moments in there, too. So, um, yeah, really, really looking forward to uh, where those two series go uh, next week, especially. And it's worth noting the audience picks were Dr. Stone for their chapter of the week and uh, Toga as their MVP, which I totally get. I totally get Toga. Big chapter for Toga. Two big chapters for you. Mm. Having two chapters to cover for each series, for the most part, gave us some good stuff. Uh. What's astonishing? This is mind-boggling to me because we've been going on for about three hours, and I vividly recall a period of time where we were constantly pushing three hours per episode, and I'm sitting here. Maybe it's just because we're getting older, and like the passage of time is weighing on me, but I feel like fucking death. I'm like, how did we ever at one point be like, every week it was like two hours, 30 minutes, two hours, 40 minutes. I think that it was because there was less content we had to cover in that time. So we were able to just relax and like, sure, we can go on a fifth wrestling tangent. Why not? <laughs> I'm like, Nick, you remember Rene Dupree and he had that little fucking poodle he brought around everywhere? And he did a stupid little dance. And for some reason, he teamed up with Kenzo Suzuki when neither of them had anything else to do. <laughs> I think they won the titles at one point. They won the tag team titles and they feuded with Rob Van Dam and Rey Mysterio. Oh, man. SmackDown was a weird place in the mid-2000s. <laughs> Remember when John Cena was a heel and he feuded with Brian Kendrick, who was called Spanky? <laughs> and he had his his muscle bulb Buchanan, better known as B-squared. B-squared. <laughs> and I think another guy was part of his posse, too. Like, Rodney Mack was, like, for three weeks part of his group as well. And then they split them up. It's like, no, you're going on a different brand now. <laughs> Or when they thought they they were going to make crime time and John Cena into a stable and then just abruptly didn't do that. (laughs) Say, no, crime time is way less important than you. Never mind. (laughs) That was one of the many, many different examples of John Cena is feuding against a guy who has a stable. So he has to team up with a tag team for this one month so that he has people who are willing to help him (laughs) when they come out to interview. He did that with the Usos when he when he was feuding with the Wyatt family. So anyway, that is going to do it for this week of Mikamaga Recap, guys. Thank you for joining us for this double packed episode. We will probably not return for a regular episode until quite a while from now, actually, because next week there's no chapter because it was early this week. The next week after that, there is no there is nothing because of Golden Week. So there's not going to be any Shonen Jump until the week of the 12th of May. Um, in between that, I'm sure that we will probably, uh, take, uh, the time to put out like a bonus episode or something like that. So watch out for that. But if you are purely watching just for the chapter recaps and everything like that, uh, we'll see you in like two and a half weeks. Uh, thank you for joining us this time. When we return, um, we might actually be on a different day of the week because, oh. uh, because my, my schedule is opening up um again by the time that we're going to have manga to discuss so keep an eye on twitter so that you can find out exactly when we're going to be recording the show your hosts are at relotine at nick f time and the podcast account is at wmr podcast you can follow the show live on uh smashcast.tv slash relotine twitch.tv slash relotine and you can of course f- check out our archives on youtube on uh we can manga and on itunes 
If you would like to send us feedback, you can do that via email. You can also drop us a question for one of our Q&A episodes that way. And you can suggest manga for us to read via our Discord server, where Ninja X3i has set up this entire thing, where you can go in there, you can check out recommendations that we fulfilled, which ones people have already asked us to do. And you can chime in and say, yes, do that one. And uh, there's a a whole thing that, uh, that they maintain uh, including each week, you can go in and say what your favorite character of the week was, what your favorite series of the week was. It's a very uh, good way to get the community involved. So go check out our Discord and check that out. And there's all sorts of other ch- uh, chat rooms you can do on there as well. Special thanks to Patreon, to Infamous Planet, to Steve Man. He draws boobs in a lot of different places. Damn straight he does. That's my boy. Yeah. And that is it. Um, next time we will probably talk about Climber, the manga recommendation we're yeah, taking. We're going to so. do that. Nick, this is a very nerdy weekend because between Endgame, huge episode of Game of Thrones, the new magic set drops tomorrow. They just put out a new uh, update for the, the mobile game I play that's a crossover with Fire Emblem. I'm in, I'm in heaven, Nick, with nerd shit. So much so, I'm a little embarrassed. So next time you see me, I might be a rough and tugged dude. The draft, which is like the nerd weekend of sports, I might be like a rough and tugged dude who's like abandoned all of that behind me. And I'm like, no more! I've become a cool person now. <laughs> I ride into my motorcycle and I do wheelies on it. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone at the card shop looks at you and you're like, you fucking dork. <laughs> Get out of here, nerd. <laughs> All right, that's good, dude. Every day. Bye. Bye.